Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. And welcome back to these Academy Queens. I am looking for a job, preferably a monster for the children to play with, Joey Gentile. And why'd you come around me with an ass like that? I'm Brandon Stanwyck. <laughs> this is this week's episode of Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. This is it, people, the one you have been waiting for. The number one most looking like most looking forward to episode of the season. The season that we actually started Academy Queens on, so it's kind of awesome mm. to finally be here, the class of 2018. All right, we were, uh, this Oscars race was heating up just when we recorded our first episode, I believe. Yes, but I remember, too, it was, like, the mid-70s. We probably actually recorded, like, 75 or 76. The weekend before this, do you remember when I said, I just have this feeling that Glenn Close isn't as secure as everyone thinks. And lo and behold, guess who was right? Mm-hmm. It's true. You can go back and listen to that episode. I say it. I say it. Clear as day. Yeah, give us the download. <laughs> um, I also want to say how excited I am for the guest that we have today, which we'll bring to you in a second. But I just want our listeners to understand the amount of takes I had to do really quick for that opening. I had to do three, which is unusual for me. But I am a mess today, so anyone, forgive me. That includes everyone on this episode and then everyone listening. Yes, we're all a little bit of a mess today. Yes, yes. But who do we have today? Well, we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, He is the founder and owner of Awards Watch, a website that tracks and predicts the Oscars, Emmys, Golden Globes, SAG Awards, and more. He's a Rotten Tomatoes-approved critic and a member of the Dorian Awards. We have with us today... Eric Anderson. Eric, how are you doing? I'm bigger and I'm faster and I will always beat you. That's how I am. Hi, boys. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome, finally. <laughs> so my one of my favorite things about you was actually just a recent interaction with you in our DMs. Um, when I asked you for a picture and you gave such range with the pictures. <laughs> So everyone who hears this by now knows that we, you know, we announce who we have in promo uh, tweets before the season starts. So Eric sends me a photo of him in color and then sends me the same photo of him in black and white. So then my response was, you know, if you would send me this in sepia tone, sepia tone, whatever the hell it's called, this would just be the trifecta of amazingness. And what does he do? (laughs) Sends me the same photo. In sepia tone. I was like, the range this has. <laughs> I had it ready. I was I was ready to go. Oh, it was wonderful. I appreciate you being ready. <laughs> um, so one of the first things we asked with our guests, because, uh, you know, when we have people on, why did you choose such and such year? So why did you choose the class of 2018? Um, since we're talking about actresses. Uh, because, duh. Uh, I love this year because 
it has some history-making nominations. It has one of the greatest upsets in decades. And I love the winners. Spoiler alert. And I don't know. I just love the path of the year. I, the, Despite the actual Best Picture winner and everything that came with that, virtually everything else except for that was just a really thrilling season uh, of deserved wins of some just exciting breakthroughs whether it was you know black panther's huge breakthrough as a comic book film in best picture or roma coming in with 10 nominations and busting the door down for netflix um and then of course all the nominations within there that we'll talk about in a little bit uh, but it's it, it was just a great year. I love this year. Yes. You know what, Brandon? As he's talking about this, it literally just takes me back to every again everyone else being able to really talk about this year, and then us just kind of sidelining, waiting for this moment. And I am extra excited now, especially that we have a guest for this for this year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we, we we we've talked about it a little bit with people, like. You know what I mean? Like the actresses, but it's like finally this is here. So god damn it, yes. God damn it, yes. Yes. <laughs> All the yes. <laughs> All the yes. Um, so before we get into it, one of the fun things that we're doing this year with our guests, because you haven't heard any of the episodes yet, is you know, every week we do the awesome contest for who people think we're gonna pick. So we've been going around in circles before we start and dive in who we think everyone's gonna pick. So if uh, Brandon, do you want to start us off and who do you think we're going for this year? Sure. Uh, well, Eric, I know you said you like both the winners, but I'm wondering if maybe you lean a little bit more toward Glenn Close. So I'm just going to say Glenn Close and Regina King, just as a guess. Uh, Joey, I know in the past you've said you like Coleman, but I don't know if you're going to change your mind. But I'm just going to stick with Coleman. And um, considering the category nonsense going on in supporting i'm gonna say king also for you for supporting brandon melissa mccarthy this is this is a given um i don't see you not not going there supporting it's really between two people i think you're gonna go with rachel vice um just that just it feels like very much your shit as you would say uh type of performance uh, Eric, that was a little tricky that I love the winners thing, but I'm, I'm actually also going to go with Glenn Close though for your winner and lead. And I'm going to stick with Regina King and supporting as well for you. Okay. Well, you, you, you allowed me a little bit of hand tip there for Brandon going for Melissa. So that's, I'll, I'll, I will take that and I will run with that, uh, for supporting, or Brandon. <laughs> Not Amy Adams. Um. <laughs> Watch this be his number one Amy Adams performance. Oh my God, I will hang up on this call. Plot um, <laughs> twist. <laughs> Y'all wanted a twist. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, I will do, I will go Rachel, Rachel Vice. And Joey. Mm-hmm. I'll go out on a limb here uh, in actress and say uh, Jelita Aprizio. 
and supporting Regina King. All right, Brandon. Okay. Yes, take us away. All right. Well, your supporting actress nominees in 2018 were Amy Adams, Vice, Marina de Tavira, Roma, Regina King, If Beale Street Could Talk. Let's start off with our winner for the year. That is Regina King winning for If Beale Street Could Talk. So far, this is her first and only win and nomination. Going into this, she was uh, pretty much a front runner as she wins the Golden Globe Critics' Choice, the Indie Spirit Award, Los Angeles Film Critics, the National Board of Review, the National Society of Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics Circle. And she doesn't really lose any of the major awards that she's actually nominated for. Uh, more on that in a little bit. Uh, Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk plays Sharon, the mother of a young pregnant woman named Tish. Tish's baby's father is behind bars for a crime he did not commit, and Sharon is working with Tish to prove his innocence. So, Eric, how do you feel about Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk? It is an incredible performance. It is an empathetic performance. It is a powerful performance uh, and you can see all of those elements in each scene that she's in whether she's talking to Tish whether she's fighting with Fawny's mom and sisters uh, or the woman in Puerto Rico that has accused him of this crime it doesn't matter what her scene is because she brings all of those elements to each one every single time. She is incomparable, I think, as an actress. I could not be a bigger fan of hers. So when this came down the pike that she was going to play this role and this was going to be Barry Jenkins' follow-up to Moonlight, I, I was already there for her to win and it was really funny because the conversations months ahead leading up to this were that oh she doesn't have enough to do where's her big oscar scene all of these things were you know happening around if this was a winnable performance and i was never shaken by that i never i want to echo the same sentiments that eric just stated there um I will say, because we're never going to get a chance to really talk about the film in, if we do a Best Picture lineup here because it wasn't nominated, I went into this not seeing a trailer, not anything, into a very packed theater, um, and all I knew is that it was the follow-up for, from, from Moonlight by Barry Jenkins. And I didn't know anything about the writing of James Baldwin. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I still don't very know much about it. I'm very ignorant to his work. Um, and there was something about the film I found very underwhelming 
um, in, unless Regina King was on screen. Um, her character is really the only thing that kept me going for this film. I actually committed one of the biggest sins of movie going in the theater. And I got so bored with this movie to a point where I checked my phone to see what time it was, to see like how much time had passed, because I just found the movie to be unbearable. Um, with that said, though, if it wasn't for King, I think this might have been one of the few movies I ever had would have walked out of. Um, what, what she's doing sprinkled out the way she is, is refreshing for me um it, there's something very much about her being the glue here that really sticks everything together um you know i found her scenes you know when they announce when uh the young characters announce that they're about to have a baby and the whole family's there and she goes after the other grandma and she's like get your shit together these this is your son or this is your daughter like this is you know go for it you know, love them, you know, that just the love that she out that she poured through really hit me on every level. Um, yeah, I think this is fantastic. And, you know, it's funny because her, her follow-up project, unless I'm missing something in between, was Watchmen. And it's so, it just shows you the range in between projects that she can do. She can give you complete badass motherfuckery. And then she can give you complete badass motherfuckery with a humbled mother twist in this movie. Um, I love it. I think this is great. I'm also a pretty big fan of Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk, also just of Regina King in general as an actress. She has a real talent for being able to command any scene that she's in, um, regardless of who she's playing. She has this ability to really grab the reins of the scene and really conduct it as an actor. Um, she shows you a whole range in this movie um, without really beating you over the head with it, I feel. I was kind of confused when I ultimately saw this film um, why people were saying she doesn't have enough to do or that she doesn't do anything. As Eric was saying, I remember people saying that too. Um, I saw this film a little bit later than everyone else, so I had seen the reactions uh, going into it, and I was pretty dumbfounded as to why people would say that. Because she is really giving you everything here in what is truly a supporting role. Maybe people think she didn't have enough to do because we've become so um, accustomed to category fraud and seeing leads who have a lot to do in supporting. But this is like a true supporting performance. And uh, that scene with the, um, the other grandmother, as Joey was saying, the um, Fonny's mother and her daughters, I, I love that scene. Um, it's, it may, might be my favorite in the movie um, when the two families are sort of going at it. And uh, Eric mentioned the scene in Puerto Rico where she goes down to confront the woman who has given false testimony as to what happened. Um, Regina King's Sharon is very careful in the way she traverses the very tricky waters that she finds herself in due to this situation with her pregnant daughter and her daughter's um, beloved. Um, she really shows you a dynamic range of how to approach the solution or how to reach a solution. Uh, she's strong-willed when she needs to be. She's sympathetic when she needs to be. She listens when she needs to. She's not a character who always has to be speaking in order to drive the scene forward or to um, 
move in a certain direction to uh, resolve the issue. Um, it's a very uh, commanding performance, and I think it's uh, worthy of the recognition that it received. Uh, Eric, did you have any follow-ups? Um, I'm pro probably not. I'm a huge fan of, of the film, though. I mean, as as a whole, I'm a a really big fan. I was very disappointed that it didn't hit Best Picture, but I'm elated for Regina King being able to triumph. And Joey. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I just remember when SAG had come around and King hadn't gotten in, like, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get to Rachel Weisz here shortly, but everyone was like, oh, if Weisz gets this, there's no way King is winning. And then Weisz didn't even get in. And there were still people who were either on the side of, there's no way Regina King is winning. And the other half was like, um, yeah, <laughs> if she can't pull SAG, she's not, you know, it's going to King at the Academy Awards. So I remember actually genuinely being unsure if she was going to get it come Oscar night. Um, so I, I like that kind of suspense going into, you know, these award shows, especially coming off of a year where, which at this point in my eyes is the very last Academy Awards we're ever going to get until shit gets together. Um, uh, where everyone doesn't win everything going into it. You know what I mean? Like, it's a nice change of, is this actually going to happen? So, yeah, I just like that type of suspense that we got from this win. Yeah, it was a very interesting race, considering the uh, two major snubs that she receives. Um, so she doesn't lose SAG and BAFTA. She's simply not nominated whatsoever. So it was really cool that she was able to pull through and win without them, which goes to show that, um, the Oscars aren't exactly a science, and precursors aren't exactly variables in a in a math problem. Uh, it's really just all about the tallies. So um, it's kind of a cool little moment that she was able to sort of disprove that whole thing and triumph. It's it's fascinating because she didn't actually win an industry award until the Oscars. She completely swept the critics. She had like thirty critics wins. She won the Globes. She won Critics' Choice. Uh, but she didn't win SAG because she wasn't there. She didn't win BAFTA. She wasn't there. But she ultimately, at the end, totally pulled it off. It's it's a amazing little storyline for this category. Mm -hmm. It makes me almost think, too, because, you know, the, the, the precursors can be very political, it makes me think back to like Monique's Oscar acceptance speech where she said it could be about the performance and not the politics. Now, granted, she was also referring to the campaign because it's infamous that, you know, Monique didn't campaign that year. But I think like every once in a while, that quote that Monique says comes true and this is it. Uh, next, we have Amy Adams nominated for Vice. This is her sixth of six nominations uh, so far. Going into this, she does get a little win with the Kansas City Film Critics. <laughs> and she is uh, recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice Awards. Um, in Vice, Amy Adams plays Lynn Cheney, the ambitious wife to a bag of manure. So, Joey, how do you feel about Amy Adams in Vice? Okay, here's the thing. I don't understand why people shit on this performance. Like, I get why people shit on the movie. Trust me, I get it. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Adam McKay's last couple of films. And honestly, I can't even think of what else he's directed to like be like, I don't like Adam McKay. But like, I didn't like the big short. I didn't like this. Like I can, and God, too, do you guys remember that deleted scene of the musical in this, or the musical scene in this movie? Mm -hmm. Fuck. Oh, awful. 
But, like, Amy Adams here is, like, the best thing about this movie. Like, she is, real again, to me, like, Regina King, the only reason why I would want to watch Vice. Um, you know, I if anyone, quote-unquote, doesn't have an Oscar moment, I don't think it's... I, I think it's Adams here because she's really just, like... She is manure, Mrs. Manure Cheney throughout this whole thing. And, like... There's not a moment where I'm like, oh, that's Amy Adams. So I think she like really disappears into her role. Um, do I think it's the greatest Amy Adams nomination? No. I've already said I think that was Junebug. Um, but this is not a bad one by any means. It's not her worst. It's not her worst. Ring, ring, hello. <laughs> Sorry. Is that, a, is that a landline? It is. Oh, my God. What? You're going to have to, like, deal with it until is somebody it a... answers it. Is it a corded landline? It's wireless, but I'm like tied uh, up into into my laptop. Hold on, one sec. You're good. Okay. The fact that you have a landline just made me really excited. Sorry, I'm old. We're old. I'm old. Well, it's not a rotary phone. <laughs> it's not. Goodness. I'm I a actually phone. want one of those. Me too. <laughs> my grandmother had one. Uh, anyway, um. Uh, what was what 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 was I on Amy Adams? What what did I say last? You said it, that she's the best uh, of the movie, and that Junebug ah. is her best nomination. Yes, yes. So, like I said, Junebug I think is her best, but Vice is definitely not Amy Adams' worst nomination. Um, Eric, what about you? Um. So I'll preface it by saying that in my review and even the headline of the review, this was I felt Vice is the worst film of of 2018 I absolutely hate it like gut level hate it I do think that Amy Adams fares probably the best of anybody in the movie certainly more than like Sam Rockwell's ridiculous impersonation or anything that Steve Carell is doing in that and even more than uh than Christian Bale because you're so hyper aware of what he's doing and his, you know, fat suits and weight loss and gain and voice and everything. And because Liz Cheney is a little bit more elusive as a presence, it gives Amy Adams more breathing room as to how she can interpret her because she is basically the very traditional supporting wife role in this. And it's not written as really much more than this. McKay tries to give her some lady macbeth tones with that little shakespearean scene which is just way too literal uh and i actually wish that the musical number was still in the movie because with as much as this garbage movie throws into itself why not just completely go all in because why the fuck not uh but i just i kind of wish there had been just a little something more for Adams to do. Uh, I would have loved a tiny subplot, at least, with Liz Cheney's writing of historical lesbian fiction, because, excuse me, what, how? And uh, it's, it would have it made a really interesting connection with you know them obviously having a lesbian daughter. But it just, there's all of these opportunities that are missed, I felt, uh, for Adams. So her performance is fine, but because it's really just there's so little expected of her. 
Yeah. Um, so I think Adam McKay must be stopped at all costs. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a huge fan of his work just in general as a director. Um, I think Amy Adams is perfectly fine in this. Um, yeah, there's just not really much expected of her. She kind of just shows up, she hits her beats, she hits her marks, and it's overall a successful performance. Um, I don't think it's a stellar performance by any means, um, but there's not really anything wrong with it um, from an acting perspective. It's mostly the movie letting her down. I agree with that. Um, her, the lesbian thing also really interests me about this character, like the real life, his, like Lynn Cheney. Um, given, you know, her writing exercises and their daughter um, eventually coming out as a lesbian, it always made me wonder if uh, Lynn Cheney might be closeted or in denial or something. And if the movie had played with that a little bit, it might have given Adam some, a little more to do and it might have made the movie more interesting. Because I also just kind of found the movie boring overall. Um, I was also not really a huge fan of anyone else in this movie. Um, I think Carell and Rockwell are ridiculous and I'm kind of tuning out all the Christian Bale stuff. I'm also kind of just over um, his excessive stunts uh, that he pulls as an actor. Um, I'm just kind of over it, I guess you could say. Um, Amy Adams is, you know, she showed up, she did the thing and she managed to get an Oscar nomination out of it. Um, I'm never really going to be mad that Amy Adams gets an Oscar nomination, but um, this is not exactly one that I'm thrilled with either. So I'm kind of meh on it overall. Yeah, I just got to feel like at this point, Amy Adams has also got to feel a little bit over it. You know what I mean? Like, she's really Thelma Rittering it, Rittering it right now. Um, so, I mean, if I was Amy Adams and like going into the season, I would have been like, really, do we have to do this again? I know I'm not going to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like poor, poor Amy Adams. It's, it's gotta be a little just emotionally draining to be nominated for everything throughout a season and go to everything and lose all the damn time. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, I, 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 I feel for her. I genuinely do because I love Amy Adams. I think she's wonderful. But, you know, she was never going to win for this, although it's so funny that there's a certain very high-level awards pundit that predicted her to win, like, all the way right to the end. And I was just like, where are you possibly even pulling that from? Yeah. Yeah, I know there was a certain... There was a group of people on the internet who thought just simply the fact that she was going, that she was six nominations in that the Academy might just throw her a bone. And I, I probably would have been upset actually. Cause I, even though I love Amy Adams, I don't want this movie to be representative of her caliber, you know? Um, and it's simply just not that great of a performance, even though I think she's perfectly okay. And that's why I always fight, which we'll get to in lead this is why I always fight the idea of, and it's an about time political campaigning for this Oscar, because either everyone who is that Amy Adams or Glenn Close status is quote unquote overdue, or none of them are. You cannot pick and choose which ones are and which ones aren't. That's why it's complete bullshit. Oh, that's gonna I, be that's gonna be fun to talk about in a minute. <laughs> I'm getting way ahead of myself. <laughs> Anything else on Adams? 
God, please no. Okay. <laughs> so next we have uh, Marina de Tavira, nominated for Roma. This is her first and only nomination. And going into this, she doesn't really receive any precursors in the United States. She receives some recognition overseas uh, with some critics awards and festival awards and whatnot, but really nothing in America until the Oscar. Um, in Roma, Marina de Tavira plays Sofia, a matriarch burned when her doctor husband leaves her and their children for another woman. She then attempts to conceal the truth from the kids and uh, eventually leverages her husband's hospital connections to help her live-in maid Cleo with her pregnancy. So Eric, how do you feel about Marina de Tavira in Roma? This is one of my favorite nominations in the entire decade. Uh, I love so much that she got absolutely nothing, 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 nothing at all until this. Uh, I, although I did not predict her right at the very end, she was in my top 10, I think as high as number seven. I was going to look at my, my chart really quick. I think as high as number seven for a month or two. And I was kind of trying to figure out how, what her path was going to be to, to get in, because I, I wasn't quite sure. I knew Roma would do really well. Uh, I was always very solid on uh, Epri 2, which we'll talk about in a minute, and I can humble brag the shit out of that. But um, I wish I had been able to do that with, with a De Tavira, because I think it's a gorgeous performance. It's really, really fun. It, I mean, she's done telenovela kind of movies before, but she really intelligently pulls back from going full telenovela with it. She has some really, you know, dramatic breakdowns and stuff. And, oh, my God, pulling the car into the garage space is almost just a humongous, wonderful bit of comedy. But she just she's more restrained than I think she could have been. So I just think it's a great performance. But it's also like every two, not somebody that I was familiar with before. So there was nothing coming into this performance that was baggage that you can point to with everybody else. I can point to Amy Adams and go, wow, she's had five nominations before and I love her in this and I don't like her in this. And all of these other elements are always going to be a part of that. And that was not the case here. So it only got to be the performance because there wasn't anything extra around it. And I loved it. It's a great performance. And Joey? There's room for everybody, apparently, for an Oscar nomination. Um, I hate everything about Roma. I literally think it's one of the worst Best Picture nominees ever. It is one of the most bullshit films I've ever seen. And this is one of the worst nominations to ever be nominated by the Academy. Um, before I get into that, though, because you just... Boy, I was wrong in my prediction for you. <laughs> before... When you said that, I was like, has he never read our Twitter? Like, I know, I know. I was just... God. And when Eric said that, I went, ooh, bitch. <laughs> I, was like, what? I love it. Now, my question, though, really quick before I get into that, Eric, because you said something that actually really um, intrigued me. You mentioned that this was your one of your favorite nominations ever because she got nothing going into it, which I love a good nomination that you don't expect that's really left fucking field. 
So just a quick question. Did you feel that way about Jackie Weaver and Silver Linings then? Because she literally had nothing going into Oscar night? No, that's, I, I look at that different because she had already had a nomination and it was in, you know, her follow-up was in a movie that was going to get nominations across the board anyway. So it, no, I don't look at it as the same. Gotcha. All right. Well, here's Joey's beatdown, everyone. You've waited for it. Here it is. Um, my little story with why I really don't like Roma is very simple. I watched it with my best friend and her family. And she is a first-generation American. Her mother's side of the family is from Peru. Her father is from Mexico, who grew up in Mexico City around this time. We were watching this, and I just remember everyone looking around being, A, bored as fuck because nothing happens in this movie, and B, her father made a comment that stroke, that like struck me pretty deep with the thinking of this. He goes, this is the most bullshit fictional account of what was going on in Mexico at that time. And it got me thinking, it was like, okay, if this is coming from someone who's lived there during this, then what is Alfonso Cuaron really doing here? Um, and then it just like my hatred for this movie grew as people were like, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm like, what the fuck movie did you watch? So that is as quote unquote, the most in the beat down aspect that I'm going to get, because at this point, when, as we got to here, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Now, I've got some friends at Netflix who worked on, who was working at Netflix at this time. And when this had happened, I had messaged him and I'm like, what the fuck was that D2, or Marina de Tavira nomination? And he said the same thing that I said. He goes, I don't understand it. When you're a background extra, pretty much, how you get a nomination. And I'm like, thank you. Like, even the people at Netflix who I know had thought the same thing. And I'm like, there is not one singular moment that this character has to warrant a nomination. This is a hell of a coattail. And I hate using that term if I've ever seen it. I just, I don't get it. Um, and what really kills me is that the screentimecentral.com has her at 30 minutes and 54 seconds of screen time. And she beats Adams and King in screen time in this category. And I'm like, there's no fucking way. Because the only thing I remember from this movie is she hugs her little bratty ass kids on the beach and she's smoking a cigarette in the car. What the fuck is she doing here? I hate this nomination. And then... Wow. <laughs> so I feel the opposite. Um, I think Brahma's a wonderful work of art and I really like Marina de Tavira in it. Um, I decided to rewatch this movie uh, to sort of just really focus on her and Yalitza here going into this, and I agree with a lot of what Eric said. Um, Marina de Tavira is one of the only actors in this movie who's actually an actor. She might be the only one who's a professional actor. Most everyone else in this movie is um, a non-actor, if you will. But you would never know that. She is so stripped down, or whatever you want to call it, where it doesn't feel like she's putting on any sort of show. She doesn't feel like a seasoned veteran. She doesn't feel like she's acting. It feels very natural, like you're watching a real person here. And I kind of like that she doesn't have a moment with a capital M. I, it feels very lived in through and through. But I would say she does have these little moments of humor. I love the car situation where she 
drives the car through the trucks. Like, <laughs> she doesn't give a fuck. And then they get to the hospital, and the car is literally dragging pieces of itself on the pavement. And she gets out of the car, looks at it for one quick second, says, huh, and then just walks into the hospital because she is so over her husband and what he has done. Because this car is a symbol of who he is as a man, basically. I mean, the scene where he parks early on in the movie stresses me the fuck out when he's parking in that narrow ass garage and he has literally an inch on either side or else he will damage this pristine probably really expensive car i'm a very anxious person and i could never do that and just watching the way it was photographed really drives me crazy but um it also gives you this impression of exactly what it means to him this vehicle and so the fact that she would just fuck it up beyond repair probably (laughs) without a blink is is a moment it really is even if it's not necessarily a close-up of her shouting to the back of the room um i also really like the tenderness between her and her children um as her life is basically unraveling um and the moment with uh cleo um on the beach at the end uh i find really moving i find that whole sequence really moving to be honest uh, so I really dig this performance. I love that you can't even tell that she's a telenovela actress. She truly just feels like someone who was plucked off of the street and was put into a movie. And that's not a criticism or a diss whatsoever. Because I think it's really hard, actually, for an actor to deliver that level of naturalism, especially when they are so seasoned and coming from the high-stakes telenovela background. I think this is a wonderful nomination, and I dig it 100%. Yay, Team Brandon. <laughs> I do declare you're both full of bullshit. <laughs> uh, I love Roma. I think, I think Roma's a masterpiece. I, I saw it five times in just the short season uh, between, like, September. Yeah, yeah. Like between September and and December, yeah. I Joey, think did you put brilliant? Did you put yourself on punishment? Was that a like? Were you in trouble? Was this why? <laughs> oh, I'm glad that other people like it. Trust me, I get it. Like I'm not, you know, trying to be like, don't rain on my parade. Let me hate this, whatever. And that's what I love about doing these. The the show is that we get such we get such 180 different, you know, opinions on stuff. Um, but yeah, this is another episode where I am the third wheel on Brandon's date. <laughs> I'm curious. Oh, you, it seems that you find really emotional human stories to be boring, Joey. That's because I'm a fucking chaotic <laughs> evil tyrant. Dude, no I lies got... detected. <laughs> yeah, that's, I got that's... shit the other day on our Twitter. Someone, someone had tried to say that we were, well, I was mis- misogynistic and racist for not liking this performance, and I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. They're like, you, you literally like just rag on it all the time. I'm like, yes, and I rag on Glenn Close, and I rag on, um, uh, like, uh, fuck, what was her name? Ann Southern for. Uh, the whales of august like it's not just marina de tavira like chill i rag on everybody <laughs> and southern that's that's a callback that's wild right right but also fuck that nomination because it was ridiculous we thought so too <laughs> we did too <laughs> yeah 
Um, Joey, I'm curious. Uh, have you only seen Roma once, or have you revisited it since you watched it no, with your I friend? I revisited that bullshit. Okay. Yes. Sorry. I'm just know. curious. No, I no, I won't ever. Honestly, I won't ever watch this again. This movie, like, there are there are some movies that I will only ever have to see once, and this is it. Hmm. Well, you're not I mean, leaving yourself very much room to to listen, change you your mind. Watch it. I have a Venmo. Venmo me some money. I mean, pay. I mean, you know what I mean. Just saying. <laughs> if you got to check out a talent, that talent could be watching Roma. Okay. <laughs> well, do we have anything else on Marina? God, no, please. Let's move on. Okay. Well, next we have Emma Stone, nominated for The Favorite. This is her um, third of three nominations. She does not win anything major going in, but she is recognized with the Golden Globes, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and the National Society of Film Critics. In The Favorite, Emma Stone plays Abigail, the impoverished cousin to Lady Sarah, played by Rachel Weisz, who arrives at the palace looking for work. She starts out as a maid, then usurps her cousin's position when the queen takes a liking to her. So, Joey, how do you feel about Emma Stone in The Favorite? This is amazing, and this is career-best work from Emma Stone. It is so sad, though, that she is in the wrong category, because, girl, if she is not a fucking lead in The Favorite, I am just so sad that she is in the supporting category. This is like, Emma Stone's English accent is so on point to where you honestly, if you didn't know she was American, you would have never guessed that she doesn't actually sound like that. That's how good this bitch is in this movie. Um, I love The Favorite. The Favorite was one of my favorite movies of that year. I remember uh, I had an Oscars-themed birthday party that year, the night before the Academy, and Brandon was there. He'll back on this one. I had printed out all the best pictures, um, the posters, and laminated them and posted them around the 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 room that we that I had gotten for the party, and centered the favorite. <laughs> I centered the favorite right in the middle. I actually put Roma's poster on the bathroom door. I was like, "Fuck that! That's that that that, that shit movie for shit room." And that's how, like, intense I was for this party. But, yeah, like, that's how much I love The Favorite. Like, it was my, my favorite here. Um, but, yeah, I, like, God, Stone is just delightful. She's hilarious. She's evil. I, I, I kind of liken The Favorite to a almost, like, Mean Girls 1800s or whenever the fuck this takes place. Because it just feels like that type of movie. Um, yeah, I, I don't have enough great things I could say about this other than I'm just sad that it's in this category. Uh, Eric, how about you? Uh, I'm completely in agreement. Uh, I think it probably is her best performance. It's terrible mm -hmm. that it's coming, you know, the year after she wins an Oscar against people that absolutely deserved it more than she did. Because then she comes in with this, which is a true lead. She has 56 minutes of screen time. Yep. She is the lead of this movie. Uh, but that aside, I love her in it. And it doesn't matter if what what she's doing in it she's either hilarious when she's jacking off taylor swift's boyfriend or whether she's falling face first in the mud or getting beaten and whipped which is horrifying but she's just she just sells every single second of it and in a movie like this which is so so sharply written and when you are basically doing just a three-person play with two other actresses 
who are absolutely at the top of their game. If you are not meeting and exceeding that, it's going to show so badly. And she never lets it show. She matches them beat for beat, and she is absolutely perfect in this. I completely agree with both of you. Um, this is my favorite of Emma Stone's nominations. It might be my favorite Emma Stone performance, period. I think she's fabulous in The Favorite. And just even beyond screen time, in terms of the way this movie moves forward, she is a lead here. She, I mean, if Abigail had never arrived, um, Lady Sarah and Queen Anne's lives would have just kept going on um, as they were probably forever. Um, Abigail's the one who comes in and becomes a bit of a, a monkey wrench in the uh, whole situation. Um, and I also love the evolution of this character, uh, how she comes in sort of desperate and without any power whatsoever and a bit of a, an embarrassment to the family. But as the story goes on, she very, uh, very carefully uh, takes over. She's very calculating. And I really dig that. Um, it's a performance that absolutely stands up with the other two. Um, as Eric was saying, uh, Olivia Coleman and Rachel Weisz are two bigger than life actresses who are giving it their all, giving A-plus performances across the board. And she stays with them every beat of this movie. And um, I, I agree, it's too bad she's in um, the supporting lineup here because um, She's fabulous, and I wish she uh, could have gotten some recognition as a lead. I will say this. I wonder sometimes, and, and I'll even include Stone in this, sometimes an actor can feel, not underrated, but uh, like a performance can come along that is unexpected. And I think that is a little bit of why probably most of us like her in this so much is that we would have easily expected uh, Coleman and Vice to give the performances that they do. But because Stone, she's good and I love Stone, but this is, this is on a different level for her. So I think there's a little bit of extra attached to that, that, that was a surprise. And I, mm -hmm. and I, and I, which is totally valid. I don't have any issues with, you know, somebody being undervalued and then surprising us with a really great performance. Yeah, I really admire the casting of her. Uh, I don't know if I ever would have thought to cast Emma Stone in a role like this. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there was a lot of surprise. At least uh, for me, I can say that. I remember when I saw The Favorite, I was completely blown away by her. I had always liked Emma Stone, um, but this was the one that really pushed me over the finish line and made me an Emma Stone fanboy. Uh, I really love the favorite. The uh, favorite was also my best picture winner this um, this Oscar year, and I still love it a lot. Yeah, I still really love it a lot. So mm -hmm. I think this is just a great movie, just across the board, every department. Ten it out of ten. Is. It is. Now who's the third wheel, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> I I'm in total agreement. I love this movie. I love Stone. <laughs> um, can I just say, I want your guys' opinions really quick. After seeing this, don't you think Stone would make an amazing Marie Antoinette with the way she did this role? I would watch it. I would watch that as well. Thank you for the enthusiasm, boys. That's exactly what I was going for. <laughs>
Well, uh, next we have Rachel Weiss nominated for The Favorite. This is her second of two nominations. Uh, going into this, she does get a big win with BAFTA, and she is also recognized with the Golden Globe, SAG, and the Critics' Choice Awards. In The Favorite, Rachel Weiss plays Lady Sarah, the confidant, advisor, and lover to the queen, who ostensibly runs the country, um, and whose ability to control the queen has been suddenly thrown into question due to her cousin, Abigail. So, um, Eric, how do you feel about Rachel Weisz in The Favorite? Uh, I think Rachel Weisz is great. Uh, she's She would probably be, of the three, she would be my third favorite, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I think she's great. I, I love her in it. Um, it's pretty funny that she and Amy Adams go up against each other again after doing so the first time, because I'm not a fan of uh, Rachel Weisz's Oscar win at all, at all. So I kind of held it against her unfairly for a really long time, admittedly. But no, I I, I think she's great in this. I think she gets um, some of the juicier dialogue too, and and I love she's she's in a more complicated position than than Stone is, I think, because she is playing. She goes from being on top to having to play catch up. And it's it, her character development because of that is is pretty fantastic. But no, I love her. I think she's great. Um, yeah, I would agree. I also am not as anyone who's listened to the show heard. I do not like Rice's Oscar win at all. Um, I just really don't get it. Um, so this was a refreshing, like, okay, she's not a, 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 an Oscar anomaly for, you know, she can do other things and she's really good. I mean, we know that she can do other things, but what I mean is like, you always get those like Oscar winners or those, those one-time winners or one-time nominees where it's like one and done, like Mary Steenburgen, for example. Um, this able, you know, it was able to show that she can do other Oscar type of work. Um, I think she's hilarious. I, I, I remember leaving the favorite and, you know, checking film Twitter and like all this stuff on, you know, what people thought about it and people being like, Oh, you know, which I'll get to once we get to Coleman, I want to go over the screen time stuff here. Cause we have questions about that. But um, side piece for that is I remember thinking like, there's no way that Emma Stone has less screen time or has more screen time than Rachel. Just something the first time seeing it, I was like, there's no way. Like, Rachel definitely seems like the the one who connects them all is the lead. You know, she's one of the two leads. And I remember seeing it the second time and be like, oh, my God, no, there's no way. Like, she's definitely in the right category here. Um, that's number one. Number two, she's funny. I think there's she's got the most complex of the characters. You know, she's got to be... Essentially, to again, hark it back to Mean Girls, she is the caddy heron. You know, she's she's playing both sides. She's got to do what she's got to do to survive. She's, you know, she's sucking up to the queen. She's trying to go after Emma Stone's character. She's trying to, again, just survive this in the long run. And I think it's great. I think this is a lot of fun. Um, I got no complaints here either. So, Brandon? Yeah, I, same. I have no real complaints about this. Um, I think this movie is delightful through and through, and Rachel Weisz is a big part of that. 
I love watching a fall from grace on film, and Rachel Weisz does it magnificently. Lady Sarah is so set in her station in life, where she is basically running this country in the Queen's mental absence, uh, running the palace, making decisions on the Queen's behalf and all that. And um, Abigail comes in and somehow woos her way into the Queen's good graces and very carefully pushes Sarah out. And uh, Rachel Weiss really struggles in character to stay within that inner circle. And when she is so rudely pushed out, um, I really love watching her unravel a little bit and um, try to maintain a sense of composure and uh, try to sneakily get revenge and sabotage her cousin and all that. Um, Mean Girls is a pretty good comparison, I would say. Uh, it's like a, I don't know, it's a, a high-class Mean Girls. I don't know what to call it. That <laughs> sounds condescending to the actual Mean Girls, but um, I get it. Uh, yeah, I think Rachel Weisz is wonderful here. Um, I don't know how I would rank the three if I had to rank them all, uh, but even whoever is the third, uh, if I were to rank them, would still be, you know, a 100% fantastic in my book i'd really just be splitting hairs to decide who my one two and three are of these three ladies in particular but um yeah rachel vice is wonderful and i i will concur this is much better than her constant gardener uh performance and you know nomination much more worthy of her be up um all right so we've got some questions here for supporting we got to get through all of them to get to them um starting with from eggs acid if Rachel Weisz was the only nominee from the favorite in supporting, does she beat Regina King? <laughs> because, because again, for those who don't understand that, there's this thing that people like to claim that, that I claim is completely false, which is called vote splitting. <gasps> um, Thank you. It's not a thing. It's not a thing at all. Thank you. I have rallied against it since, like, the, like, birth. Oh, my God. Who's the third wheel now, Brandon? <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah. So oh. Eggs Acid is saying if vote splitting wasn't a thing, which it's not a thing. <laughs> if Rachel Bryce was the only nominee from the favorite in supporting, does she beat Regina King? Eric? That's, it's almost an unanswerable question because it's not answering the question of who replaces Emma Stone and what is their impact on the race. Because if you if you then look at okay, is it Emily Blunt in Quiet Place or is it Claire Foy in First Man? Who is in there to also siphon votes away as a favorite nominee? So when you when people ask questions like that, it's eliminating a huge section of the equation, and you can't simply say, oh, because one of the favorite actresses is gone, all of a sudden you know, Rachel Weisz is the front runner. She did win BAFTA. The only thing and only time she won against uh, Emma Stone. Uh, but King beat them at the Globes. So you're, I think it's tough. I think it's really tough. And I do actually think that King still would have won. I have a feeling King still would have won as well. Um, just imagining that there's only four uh, places here, like Emma Stone 
is gone and no one replaced. They're just looking at the four who remain. I don't think Rachel Vice conquers this um, category. I have a feeling it would it was always going to go to King. Um, now saying this, a fifth person is put in and votes are redistributed. For some reason, I still have a feeling King would triumph. I don't know why. Um, of course, there's no real way to answer this concretely, but I just have a feeling that this was always going to be King's win, even if it wasn't exactly um, set in stone precursor-wise. Yeah, I think I agree. I think there would have been an easier way to answer this had King been at BAFTA, because then you'd be able to see, like, you know... Or, or SAG, you would have been able to see like industry people who cross voting for in the academy, like what could have happened. So this is very much so an unanswerable question. I just don't know. Um, I don't know if I agree with King taking it, but I also don't know if I agree if White Vice could have taken it. So I'm just going to stay in the middle and say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we got a couple of questions about this, but I think this one by Ronaldo Sosa kind of is you know, combines all of them. Would you agree that Emily Blunt was closer to a supporting actress nomination for A Quiet Place than she was getting in for Mary Poppins Returns in lead? I'm going to start this one. Um, going off of SAG, this is also a tricky one because uh, while, yes, SAG did give it to her, it's all, it's very much like she didn't show up anywhere else that I can think offhand for the major awards for A Quiet Place. So it, it was kind of very much... A rando win. Um, also, too, she's not a fucking supporting actress in A Quiet Place. She's not the entire goddamn movie. So, enough with the category fraud. Um, regarding Mary Poppins Returns, I never saw it because I hate Mary Poppins. So, I didn't even <laughs> give it a chance. Eric, what about you? Uh, do I think she was closer to lead in Mary Poppins or supporting in Quiet Place? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think she was closer to uh, supporting. Yeah, I have to agree as well. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of her in Mary Poppins. I thought she was all right. Uh, I wasn't just, a, I wasn't really a fan of the movie itself. So, and she didn't really save it for me in any way. So um, I have a hard time saying she was closer for that one. Uh, but I'm also not sure how close she was for A Quiet Place. It also feels kind of random to me um, that she got in and won with SAG. But um, assuming that precursors are math uh sure a quiet place (laughs) and finally from our good german buddy christoph elizabeth elizabeth de snub for widows travesty or huge travesty i will also accept robbery as an answer also would any of the ocean's eight ladies have deserved some awards attention brandon what do you think um i would have liked uh elizabeth de to get in here um i thought she was great in Widows. Uh, I'm not sure how close she was or how on people's minds she was, um, industry-wise. Um, as far as Ocean's 8 goes, I thought Ocean's 8 was perfectly all right, but no one in the movie really stood out Oscar-wise to me. So I'm okay with none of them getting in for that film. Eric? Uh, in keeping in line with the subject of Widows, I would say it was a robbery, uh, but not a travesty. I think it would have been a great nomination, but it is very clear and very evident now that that movie, while deserving of all of the things, got none of the things. So there was just, there was no 
box office behind it. There was no critical push behind it. Uh, Viola Davis's nomination at BAFTA is still completely baffling to me. I love it. It's great. And I wish she had gone all the way. But I'm still so confused by it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would have loved to see it. I just don't think that it was anywhere as close as as people want it to be. How about Ocean's 8, ladies? No. All right. <laughs> um, I'm going to say no on Elizabeth. Um, to be honest with you, I never understand why she never got any type of uh, buzz for her better role in The Great Gatsby. I thought she was the big standout there. And just like Lana Del Rey for original song in that movie, I think that's where a robbery came in for Elizabeth. I also just didn't like Widows. I just found it to be very boring. Um, so I wasn't like team Widows for anything that year, but that's just me. Um, regarding Ocean's <laughs> 8, ladies, I'm going to also agree, no one really stood out for Oscar nom. I was actually quite confused when I remember Anne Hathaway had some online buzz for this movie, and I'm like, okay. But um, yeah. Uh, no one to Becky and no one Ocean's 8. <laughs> All right. Moving on to leads. Are we ready? Are we ready? Oh, my yes. God. I, w- I, I want to be bold here and maybe say what we're all thinking with leads. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, despite who won this year, the true best actress of that year was Toni Collette in Hereditary. <laughs> and it's a goddamn shame that she... The only people to take up on it were the Critics' Choice and Independent Spirit Awards, and it's a goddamn shame if you didn't vote for her in either one because she was right there. What do you guys think? I will say I that know. I voted for her for the Indie Spirit Awards for whatever that's worth. Me too. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it. if we're going to talk about robberies and travesties, this is one. This is, yes. this, is this year's biggest. Yes. Well, with that said, going into the lead actresses of 2018, your nominees were... Jalitza Aprizio Glenn Close, The Wife. Olivia Colman, The Favorite. Lady Gaga, A Star is Born. Melissa McCarthy, can you ever forgive me? <sighs> Jalitza Aparicio. As Cleo in Roma, this is her sole nomination. And going into Oscar night, she only gets something really from Critics' Choice. Um, in Roma, she plays a woman who is a maid who gets knocked up and saves the kid at a beach. Um, Eric, what do you think? Jesus. Um, well, I mean, obviously, we're, we are going to be at odds with this. I am in love with this performance. I love, love, love this performance. I am a really big fan of first-time actors uh, that are, like, full, complete, true leads of their films. I completely push back on the idea that it's boring or that nothing happens. I think she's, 
I think she is extremely easy to understand and sympathize with. I think her whole, the whole sequence at the doctors, again, for somebody that is not an actor to be able to tap into certain emotions and situations in a way that is as vulnerable as she is in that moment is really rare. And it's a wonderful thing. I just, it's really one of my favorite things. I'd love Kofonjane Wallace's nomination. One of my absolute favorites of all time too. And I don't care if she never comes back and gets another nomination or a, a high profile film that, that never matters to me. I like lightning in a bottle moments, uh, which I think this is. And I, I was, compl- see, I was never bored with this at all. I was with her the entire way. Uh, and the entire sequence at the beach, I was a puddle every time I saw it. So I'm, I'm, I'm all in for Aparicio's performance and this nomination. Yeah, I was never bored either. Uh, she pulled me along the entire way. I find her so compelling um, every single second that she's on screen. Um, I'm not sure what it is about her. She just has this natural magnetic energy to her. And she is so communicative. Is that the word? Communicative? Mm-hmm. Um, with her entire being. Um, I love every look that she gives in this movie. Um, I think we've all looked at a man the way she looks at that guy doing that naked kung fu stuff. I think we, we, all, we all know what that look is. Um, and uh, I, the scene where she gives birth to the stillborn child, I, so I don't cry very often with movies because I only allegedly have a heart, but that scene <laughs> like crushed me and my eyes got a little bit moist. And uh, I, it's crazy to me that someone who has no acting experience, no formal training was able to pull that out of me. It feels so fucking real every single second that she's on screen. Um, also these like micro reactions, uh, these little nuance moments where she is basically being spoken down to, uh, experiencing prejudice due to her indigenous backgrounds in among this um, upper class uh, Mexican family. Um, there was like a moment in the beginning, I believe, where Cleo is talking to the other, um, the other maid in their native tongue. And the child, the, the, the boy that they're looking after has this like really mean remark where he says, stop talking like that. And she has this little moment where her entire culture, her entire heritage was just slapped in the face because of this little boy who finds her native language repugnant to hear, you know? And the kid, of course, being a kid didn't mean it that way, but that's the way it comes across. And she conveys that little moment so clearly if you're really watching her. Um, there's also the moment where they're in the hospital when she goes to her first appointment and Sophia is going to speak to her doctor because I believe they're acquainted somehow and um, Cleo's pregnant and Sophia says, oh, go, go look at the babies. The babies are down the hall. Go look at them because all she sees is a housekeeper, a nanny, a maid. And so she just assumes, oh, you can uh, 
entertain yourself by going and looking at children. That's what you do. And again, Sophia doesn't mean that necessarily in a condescending way, but that's ultimately how she sees this woman who is in this very precarious situation. Um, and to go back to the, uh, the beach scene that Eric mentioned, uh, I find the whole way that movie is shot or that the whole sequence is shot and the way Yalitza, um pulls it off in long shot. It's a big wide shot. And yet she is able to command the entire frame when she is just marching through those waves that I don't know how she got through them without being completely knocked over. Naomi Watts in The Apostle needs to be taking notes. Um, (laughs) She's great. And uh, when she ultimately gets back to the beach and she breaks down and admits that she never really wanted the child that she was pregnant with or she had decided that it was best that she not have it and then it ended up being stillborn and she feels really guilty about that I think and there's a whole lot coming through in that moment and Quaron frames it in a way where she's kind of turned halfway from the camera we only really see her in profile in that shot if I remember and that is also a, a, a wider shot There's like five other people in the frame with her. And yet she commands the entire frame. And I don't know. I don't know how she pulled off this role, to be honest, because she feels like a seasoned actress to me with what she's able to do while also having that very natural Marina de Tavira lived in energy. So this this is a conundrum to me in the best of ways. I really love it. So, go ahead, Joey. (laughs) All right. So, here's the thing, guys. This episode, for many reasons, was the one that we got a lot of tweets about for people wanting to hear the most. And it it even got the most because I've been so vocal about how much I hate this movie. And I remember getting a tweet with a gif of Lucy Liu and Kill Kill Bill about uh, Jalizia that said that tear or tear this bitch apart or something and the thing is is like I get it you guys get it everyone who's listening to us says get it I don't like this movie and I what I don't want to do is go into this as a broken record because even I'm getting sick of it let's just be honest so I'm just going to state this it really bugs me when such a magnificent performance like Tony Collette in Hereditary is ignored when such a minimalist performance like this gets recognized. Um, it, it really bugs me because it makes me question why I love award season and why I love like th- this type of thing that honors film. Because it's like, if the best can't get in, but we can throw a bone to this person, like, what does it truly mean? You know? So I guess a lot of my, a lot of my anger towards this nomination does come from that. And it also, though, comes from the movie itself. So I'll just leave it with this. I, while I don't think this is as ridiculous as De Tavira's nomination, this is still not one that I would ever, ever nominate. And it just feels like a waste of space of a nomination for me. That's it. I'm, I'm going to keep it as clean as possible. Um, does anyone have anything to follow up on Aparicio here? I do, if I may. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a couple things that I'd, I'd love to to kind of dig deeper in with with you on this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one, I, I guess it's because I've learned this lesson a long time ago because mm-hmm. I am like your grandmother's age or something now. Um, using the Oscars as a true barometer of good, bad, worthy, not worthy is is something that I think anyone that that likes or loves the Oscars or follows them has to get to to a point where that is severed a little bit. And you have to allow the reality of all of the other elements that go into and come into play uh, with the Oscars uh, to be a part of it. Because if, if it was only that you know, yes, Tony Collette would be in, uh, but then it would also be a different show and a different group of, of members. So I, I, you have to be able to approach each season differently and, and what's happening politically and socially in that year, as well as changes within the academy, positive or negative, and and come at it from a slightly more, um, maybe like removed emotionally, like just one or two steps. Because I had to do that. I, I, I was nothing but a Oscar fanatic since I was a child. And I, I mean, I've talked about this before and I talked about this on the Oscar Trippy podcast like last month, that it took it took Brokeback Mountain's losing to completely uh, sever my emotional connection to the Oscars. And then from that point on until like Moonlight, my approach was very academic. It didn't mean I, I liked it less, but it just meant that I could not be hurt by it, I guess, by a snub or something like that. So I, I think if you can get to a place of looking at the Oscars under much more uh, microscopic reasons for existing, then, then I think it's, it's easier to get less like upset or confused by things. But then, you know, it's fun to get upset and confused by snubs and all that. Because yes, Toni Collette deserved a nomination. It's, it's insane that she's not in. <laughs> But something else I wanted to ask you is that I want to know more from you, Joey, about how you define boring because you've mm-hmm. used it. You've used the word three times so far, and I, it's just a. It's almost like it's a it's a generic like catch-all word. So mm-hmm. I I just I just want to know. Is the boring that you found in Beale Street the same boring that you found in Roma, and why? Yeah, that's actually that's actually really awesome. I'm glad that you asked me that because we you're the first person we've ever had on when I have said something that's usually quote unquote not the norm, which I do find myself in a lot. You know, and I'm I'm very aware of that. Um, and that's I usually, right. yeah, I usually don't go with the popular vote. You know, I, I, one of my favorite movies of all time. I talk about it a lot. Is Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. And I watch it constantly. And I can't tell if that reaction was good or bad for you. No, no. It's one of my favorites of all time. 
Yeah. And, you know, as you know, that movie gets a lot of shit because people are like, nothing happens. It's overly long. Like, it's yeah. super boring. For me to find a movie boring, I have to not care or be engaged in the storyline, in the characters, in really anything that's going on. Now, to answer specifically, do I find Beale Street's boring for me the same as Roma's boring? No, because unlike Roma, at least Beale Street had Regina King. Although I would love to see a Regina King's Roma. I think that'd be really interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, I, her character and her acting really was what kept it in for me. You know, I've only, I, I've only walked out of two movies in my life. Um, the Nice Guys and American Hustle. Because I thought they're the only two movies I've ever walked out of. I've never seen all the way through because I just found them to be trash. Um <laughs> but to give you an idea of what it takes for me to actually walk out of a movie like that's something on those lines so boring for me has to be um i just have to not be engaged with it at all i could literally care less what happens i could care less if i finish it also um widow's boring because that's the other time that I used it here. I was really excited for Widows. It was one of my top movies I was really looking forward to. I love that cast. I love Jackie Weaver. I was like, give me all of this. And then I got there and I was like, you know, despite everything that's happening, story-wise, nothing is actually happening. Um, it just didn't engage me like that. So yeah, for me to find a movie boring, I just have to, I, I just really have to be completely disengaged from every aspect of the film. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. But but that's I guess that's kind of what I, what I'm really fascinated by is the ability to be so completely removed from all aspects of of a movie. Let me look at let's let's I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna go in on, on with you on this. Mm -hmm. uh, look look at Beale Street and the cinematography or the music. That that was not enough to get to kind of carry you along or with Roma uh same thing the cinematography or the style of it was not enough to you you were halted like from the beginning I'm glad that you brought that up because I have actually said it on our show before and on our Twitter I will always give her credit is where, where I feel credit is due I'll give it um I've actually mentioned that the only thing I think that Roma should have won, which I'm all aboard with, is cinematography, because I found it to be absolutely breathtaking. Um, to be honest with you, Beale Street score, I never, like, found super intriguing. It just, like, I couldn't, like, for example, Carol's score, I could, Carter Burwell, I could, I could tell you who did it, I could tell you how the music went, I could tell you how it made me feel. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you anything about Beale Street other than Regina King. Okay. So it nothing stuck to me outside of King. Um I hope that helps a little bit. Yeah, no, it's it's I mean this I like having conversations like this and I and I do I mean I'm asking cuz I wanted to understand what your definition uh was and if it was if it was something that then it's like oh okay I can see what you mean cuz I didn't want to I didn't want to be dismissive of your opinion but mm -hmm. i wasn't able to understand your opinion with you know just hearing boring so yeah, yeah. I, I just i just wanted to know more so my quick question to you following up 
for you, and this will be really, really quick. You mentioned there was a point where you had to kind of distance yourself from being like almost cut off for the Academy to understand what was good and what wasn't. Yeah. Um, I got to ask, was it Mary Pickford winning for Coquette as a little boy when you think Corinne <laughs> Griffith should have won for the Divine Lady? I hate you, and I'm <laughs> hanging up right now. Uh. <laughs> for anyone who didn't get that reference, that was at the second Academy Awards in 1928. Yep. So... Me, me and Gloria Stewart were sitting next to each other and be like, fuck that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do have a quick question. Brandon, are you still there, by the way? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just listening. <laughs> Um, we do have a quick question from Isaiah Washington, uh, okay. which I'm guessing is not that Isaiah Washington. I was going to be like, okay. <laughs> oh, he listens. <laughs> How do you think you and other people would react if Jalitza Parizio won Best Actress? I'm going to start this off. Listen, guys, Jalitza Parizio is an Oscar nominee. Joey Gentili is not, even though I, at this point I should sue the Academy because I have not received one nomination in any category. <laughs> So, listen, if she would have won, would I have been absolutely devastated? Yes, I would have. And I, whatever. But also at the same time, I have to realize what that win would have been for indigenous Mexican people. And I also have to realize what that win would have been being a woman of color in an all-white field, unless your name is Halle Berry. So, despite my disappointment, in the end, it doesn't fucking matter. Because that would have been a historic win. Boys? Well, I initially would have been shocked, uh, surprised that she would have pulled it off. Um, I don't think anyone was really predicting her to be the winner here. So it would have been a surprise, but I also would have just been really happy for her. Uh, like you were saying, the historical nature of it all, uh, the unexpected nature of it all. Um, I don't think I would be mad. I would just be surprised and then delighted, honestly. Uh, I'm... I'm actually a perfect combination of both of you in that because I would have been surprised and delighted uh, like like you said Brandon but then on the other side like you said Joey what it would have represented would have been so historical and I love love historical history precedent setting nominations and wins I love them because it gives us something to talk about forever mm-hmm. it gives us something to refer to when we are, you know, in a year that seems like, wow, could this possibly happen? And then you say, yes, of course it could happen because here we have a great example of it. Um, it would have been a, obviously a super strange win, but the more that I think about it, not that strange because Roma was a movie that was clearly in second place and uh, had 10 nominations, just like The Favorite did. And The Favorite only won one uh it deserved more but it only won one and roma had four so it's when i think about it i think aprizio was probably much closer than people Mm -hmm. would think i would agree i would also agree with that she's not in fifth not in fourth that's just my thought We've said this before, and actually it was on, on this season. I don't want to say where it was yet, because it'll give away for you. And I don't know if you actually listen to us, but I hope you do. Um, <laughs> uh, there was another actress who I mentioned that I feel like the rando nominations or the ones with the least amount of precursors usually don't go by the quote-unquote math of 
um, precursors mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. always closer than we think because mm -hmm. how in the hell did they get there to begin with? You know what I mean? Yes. I'm totally with you. And I have said this years and years and years. When the nomination is the biggest obstacle, you are much closer as a threat to win once you get there. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Anything else before we move on? I'm good. <laughs> I think we're good. Spent a Brandon lot of time on her. Yes, we did. All right. Next up, we have Melissa McCarthy as Lee Israel in Can You Ever Forgive Me? This is her second of two nominations. Um, very interesting with her precursors here, and you'll hear why in a second. All nominations everywhere except for one win. She's nominated Golden Globes for Actress in a Drama, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, National Society of Film Critics, and SAG. This is the first time I've ever been able to say this. Going into Oscar night... She wins a Razzie Award for Redeemer of the Decade. So she won a Razzie for a good performance, for a quote-unquote good Razzie for this role. Very interesting. Um, in uh, Can You Forgive Me, again, Melissa plays Lee, who is a down-and-out writer in early 90s Manhattan, um, whose agent won't give her the time of day, and she has to resort to really hustling and conning the quote-unquote man to make some money. Brandon, tell us about what you think about Melissa McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me? <laughs> so I love this nomination. Um, I think Melissa McCarthy is wonderful, and the movie is fantastic and deserves so much more recognition. Um, it's crazy to me that it didn't get picture, director. I understand, I guess, why, quote-unquote, given, you know, the way things work. But um, just looking at the movie um, at its face value, I think it's absolutely worthy of that recognition. Um, Melissa McCarthy is amazing. Um, she has shown so many times when she has given the opportunity what she is capable of. And Can You Ever Forgive Me is a performance that really puts all of her strengths on display. Um, she is hilarious in this movie. She is heartbreaking in this movie. She is so cunning and low-key evil at times, and I really love it. Um, I also think this is just a cool story, um, especially considering that this, for the most part, really happened. Um, I like that she's able to go to this really dark place and thrive. I mean, this is a, a character who is not really taken seriously within her field, um, even her own agent, editor, I don't remember exactly what Jane Curtin's role is, but she doesn't Boss believe in her. Bitch. Well, yeah, there's that. Um, you know what? God damn it. I want that Fanny Bryce biography. I would have read it. <laughs> um, so I, I feel for this character from the beginning uh, when she's not taken seriously. She just wants to pursue the subjects that she's interested in, that she hopes other people are interested in, that she knows other people are interested in, even if it's just a niche group of people, but she's consistently turned down uh, over people like goddamn Tom Clancy, who makes a million dollars or whatever it is per book or how, whatever she quotes. Um, but I kind of love when she really finds her groove, when she gets into this illegal uh, fabrication uh, scheme, and she really sort of comes into her own. Uh, I kind of root for her, even if I know she's doing something bad that is swindling people and whatnot uh this is also a movie that's kind of stuck with me um seth and i were at this bookstore 
in Annapolis, Maryland, not too long ago, and they had this case where they were selling um, letters from famous people, written by famous people, and Seth and I both had a moment where we were like, wait, did Lee Israel write those, do you think? Do you think they're actually... <laughs> and honestly, if I knew that Lee Israel wrote them, I would be much more interested in buying them than if the actual person wrote them. That's how much I really love this character. Um, yeah, I think Melissa McCarthy's great, and um, I really want more of this. Uh, she has two Oscar nominations, and I feel like people still look down upon her as a performer, and I think that's bullshit. Eric? Uh, I love this movie. I think it is overflowing with greatness. I think it is uh, funny and sad and dour and goofy. Uh, I am so happy that McCarthy did this and was nominated for this. And she does not utilize a lot of the traditional comedic pratfall elements that she's known for and got that got her her first nomination it's it's such a fascinating story too because if it had not been a real a true life story this character would have been a man easily mm -hmm. and the perception of this character would have been very different and the response to this character from everybody around them would have been very different but the fact that it is a true story and the fact that it is a woman speaks to so much of how women writers are treated in any form of, of, of writing at all. Uh, and I just, like Brandon, it didn't matter if she was doing something super shady or super funny. I, I, I was rooting for her in so many ways. And I, lo I love it. I love this performance. I am. I, I, I want McCarthy to keep finding and getting more uh, attention from the Academy. I think it would be great. She might have something later this season. But um, yeah, I, I love it. I think I think it's a fascinating story. And it doesn't, you know, end with any. It ends exactly as it should. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a big, really big fucking issue with this one. Um, mainly, and it's really only one thing, mainly for the fact that I haven't had to buy a DVD in years and the fact that this never came on Blu-ray. Like, that's my big issue um, as a film. Just say. <laughs> I I think it's bullshit. I was like, buy a DVD? What's a DVD? Um, no, but we're in the performance. This is fantastic. This movie is fantastic. Richard E. Grant, who I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate that people for some reason just discovered him with this when I, I mean, I've, I've known him since at least Spice Girls, uh, the Spice Girls movie in 1997. Um, shout Aww. out to my kindergarten class. That's um, so cute. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I was already right divorce. Um, <laughs> I was on husband number three. <laughs> Smoking your glorious swans and Siggy. Um, <laughs> You know what, Eric? I'm not going to lie. Really quick side note, we can edit this out. I did not know what to expect with you. I thought you and I would be butting heads for some reason, and I have quite enjoyed you on this. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, but okay, so getting back to this. Yeah, M McCarthy is fantastic. I think McCarthy is exactly what I was talking about earlier, where you wanted someone to go and have a second nomination, not be like a one-hit wonder. 
especially because McCarthy's post first Oscar nom career was going really deep in the shitter. Yep. I mean, I can only think of The Heat as being a really good role in film for her post Bridesmaids. Um, maybe actually St. Vincent, but she didn't have a whole lot to do there. Um, but yeah, I think this is fantastic. I'm really glad that Julianne Moore got fired. Thank you for fucking up somewhere, Julie, because McCarthy was Lee Israel. And shout out to Jane Curtin. We need more Jane Curtin in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually funny. Brandon and I had a really fun thing on Twitter a couple weeks ago where we casted this movie with film Twitter people, and Andrew Carden was our Jane Curtin. Yeah. Um, oh, my right? God. Right? Oh, I love that. I love Andrew. That's I love yeah, that. Yeah, because I was like, Brandon, you're Lee, and I'm Richard E. Grant. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, anything else before we move on? Um, going into or roping in her other nomination here, I don't know how polar opposite you could be uh, between Meg and Bridesmaids and Lee and Can You Ever Forgive Me. Yeah. I mean, that right there, if you watch those two movies back to back, you think Melissa McCarthy is the most dynamic actor of all time with the biggest range of all time. And she's truly incredible. And uh, sort of like uh, with Rachel Weisz, where I said I really love watching a character fall from grace. Something else I really love is watching a character who's aware that she is being surrounded and slowly uh, moved in on, or whatever the word is. Uh, she reaches a point, like a point of no return in this movie, where she becomes aware that she is, she's probably gonna be taken down at any moment. And watching Melissa McCarthy squirm and scheme her way to staying above the surface, I think is wonderful. I, I feel so engaged uh, the entire time, but especially then when uh, Melissa McCarthy is doing these shady, sketchy things, and I still want her to kind of get away with it. Like, I don't want consequences for her, even though I know they need to come. And even though I know this is a true story, I, no matter what's happening to her, I'm, I find myself rooting for her, even when I know the real life story and uh, that in narrative storytelling, there has to be consequences. But Melissa McCarthy's able to really convince me that Lee Israel deserved to get away with it. And I think that's really special. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Moving on this year, we have Glenn Close as Joan Castleman in The Wife. This is her seventh of seven and final nomination she'll ever receive. Uh, um, <laughs> this Going into Oscar night, she has a Golden Globe win for Best Actress in a Drama, a Spirit Award win, and a SAG win. She also tied at Critics' Choice with Lady Gaga, but in the only place she did not win outside of the Academy Awards was the BAFTA for Best Actress. In uh, The Wife, again, Glenn plays Joan, who is essentially a victim to her husband's ridiculousness. Um, here she is, the writer of the books that he is being honored with a Pulitzer Prize for, when in all honesty, it should be her. And just another reason on why men are trash and women should have everything. Um, Brandon, let's talk about Glenn's very last nomination. What do you think? So I really like Glenn Close and The Wife. Um, I think The Wife is a movie that could use some work. Uh, I think it's a weak film overall that um, sometimes does not deserve Glenn Close. But Glenn Close, I think, is fantastic in it. 
Um, sort of like McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me, I think this movie puts a lot of Glenn Close's strengths on display. This is a very calculated performance. Um, it's very meticulous, and uh, Glenn Close has, has always been really good at that. Um, it's a performance that is very readable, and that's not necessarily a diss. I, you can kind of tell what's going on in her head um, the entire time. Um, even if you don't know the twist, I feel like if you're really paying attention to her, um, you kind of get the impression of what's going on. Um, I really like it. And this was another character who I find myself rooting for, um, especially after it is ultimately revealed uh, verbatim what is what has been going on um, in this marriage and how she is the person who ought to be winning. Um, I believe it's the Nobel Prize uh, in literature and um it, it's it is garbage that uh her husband was able to slap his name on these books and win all these accolades when she was the one who was uh writing everything and tweaking everything and coming up with everything and uh i really feel for her in her uh sort of powerhouse moment where she is really laying it into him and throwing the books and telling him what the books are actually about, which he doesn't even know. Like, I love the line where she mentions that the one book is about his affair with the babysitter or something. And he's like, yeah, it has nothing to do with the babysitter. And she snaps back, oh, yes, it is. It's a bleeding from every page or whatever the line is. I kind of love that. Um, it's really cool. Uh, the only negative I have with this movie, it's well, it has nothing really to do with Glenn Close. Well, I have a lot of issues with the movie itself. Never mind, I should rephrase that. Um, I don't believe in the end when she gets back on the plane and they have the exact same uh, flight attendant from the flight into Europe. I don't know, that really takes me out of it. Um, <laughs> but Glenn Close, I guess, saves it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think it's a wonderful performance. And had she won for this, I don't think it would have just been a career win. I think this is a worthy performance. Yeah, she had been nominated several times and had not won, and people writing about this Oscar season and punditrying about this Oscar season kept bringing up the career factor. But just looking at this as a performance, I think this is a really good Glenn Close performance. So I think it would have been a quote-unquote career win that was also a good performance win, if that makes sense. So I guess I'll just throw that over to Eric. Um, hmm. I I guess I kind of have complicated feelings about the performance, the role, and the film. It's interesting that this is kind of side by side with Melissa McCarthy and Can You Forgive Me about female writers and how they're treated. This, the whole subject is the ultimate version of Behind Every Great Man Is a Woman. And it's taking the glibness of that statement and giving it actual uh, life. And the problem, though, is that it's, to use Joey's word, kind of boring. It's, it's not, um, not that it has to be thrilling, but there, there are very little in the way of surprises for this. Uh, there's very little in Close's performance that I was surprised by. And I think that's gonna be difficult to do when you have somebody that is on their 
18th nomination and has been working since the 80s is that you you have to be able to you have to be able to see something maybe a little different uh, or unexpected and there's not really that much unexpected from this performance it's a solid performance it's very very good uh, but I guess I, I wanted more it has it has all of the super traditional classic style of best actress performances of you know a throwing furniture and vases around and books and exasperation and but they're they're all like hitting beats none of it feels that really organic it's like okay you know this part's going to be next and you know this is building to this so when each thing happens it's it's expected and then you kind of go to the next thing um, but I will say she can give the most gorgeous icy death stares, um, that will cut you in half. And I only wish that I could do that to my enemies at some point, but, um, and with all of that, that I just said, I would have been totally fine with her winning because unlike a lot of people, I am okay with career wins sometimes. I know, Joey, at the top of this that you said it's kind of all or nothing. It's like you, if you're okay with it, you have to always be okay with it. But I will wear my hypocrisy on my sleeve about this, that I can hate Al Pacino and Paul Newman's wins and be totally okay with like Julianne Moore's win. <laughs> and I even would be okay with Glenn Close's win because it kind of in some ways and with some performances when the academy finally gives in then they don't have to give a fuck anymore and that person doesn't have to keep trying with super baity material that feels created specifically for getting an oscar and i but even through all of this i feel so so bad for glenn close in a way that i just have rarely ever for anybody in the Oscar realm because this was by far the closest that she's ever been. She absolutely thought she was going to win. Mm -hmm. And her response just said everything in that moment. And I, my, my heart just sunk for her like so, so badly. And I, I just felt bad. I really, really did, but it's not her last nomination. So she will be back. Yeah, maybe as an honorary posthumous winner. We'll um, see. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be that mean to be like wishing death on people. No, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I give her shit, but eh, whatever. I digress. <laughs> I, have a, I, I have a dream. And this dream is a category that includes Annette Benning, Sigourney Weaver, Michelle Pfeiffer, Glenn Close, and Meryl Streep. And Streep wins her fourth, leaving everyone still Oscarless. Poor Amy Adams. <laughs> okay. Um, no, listen, here's the thing. Uh, by, it's no secret by now, my 
Guys, if I ever like go missing, you need to check Glenn Close's house first because that's where my body will be found. <laughs> We're at the end of the close train period, end of story on this show. <laughs> so we're, we're, we've made it. Um, I have said on our Twitter, because I, I reposted it maybe about six months ago, something that I said on my personal Facebook page, that I remember watching this movie on a screener, not paying attention to it and being like, whatever, it's fucking going close. She's going to ride that. It's about time journey all the way through. And then I re- so I didn't even really watch it. And then I revisited it. And I looked at this and I was like, huh, okay. If she were to win this Oscar, I don't think it would be a bad win. I don't. Mm-hmm. And I posted about it. And I remember Kevin's response was like, uh, <laughs> Glenn's resp- he posted a gift to Glenn's response to winning the Golden Globe. Like, what? I was like, just wait until we get this episode. Um, yeah, I think if she had won for this, it would have been that she did good work. But the fact is, if this were a win, this was a pure campaign and it's about time win. Because what I mean by that is that campaign ran on this is her seventh, this is it, give it to me, yada, yada, yada. And to me, that takes away from the work she actually did. Now, the work she did here, I, I agree with both of you guys. I think that it, it, it's, it's, it's good work. Um, the movie has issues, which I always find it's funny because it's for your consideration ad was like her one with Albert Knob, like best picture, best director, yada, yada, yada. It's like slow your roll. Um, you know, it's it, it's fine. It's, you know, whatever. Do I think it's her worst? No. The natural would like to see her in court for that one. But um, yeah, it's it, this win would have been a career one. This would have not been a merit award. This would have been a it's about time award. And I'm sticking to it. Um, but yeah, it, it's fine. It's not bad. I wish the movie were better. Um, I feel like a better made film would have elevated the performance even more. I feel like Glenn Close is sort of on a raft, just sort of drifting. And that's not her fault. I think she is turning out a really good performance and she's really in it, I think. But I really wish that like Mariel Heller had directed this movie as well. And it had been a well-crafted, well-designed film that really elevates its leading star and it all really just comes together and gels. I feel like people would dislike this film and potential win um, a little bit less if it had just simply not been such a mediocre, lackluster film with a solid performance somehow wedged in there. But I think that's why I was so... I don't want to say angry with this one because I would like I was like I said I'm not I'm not going to be a broken record here like I was angry with the Roma stuff I wasn't angry with this nomination here but because the movie is so lackluster the I mean guys let's be honest here and I'd love to hear your opinion the only reason why Glenn Close was nominated here because the movie was so bad and so lackluster reviewed was because of that campaign it was this was her Oscar Beatty role. This was the this was the nomination that her agent Kevin Huvain was finally going to show up to at the Oscars. This was, you know what I mean? Like this was only a nomination because it became an, it's about time. If this if this was not an about time nomination, this or if this was maybe if she had already won one, do we really think she would have gotten in? 
No. Let's be honest. What do you guys think? Well, it's it's interesting because Sony Pictures, Sony Classics held on to this for a year. They had it the year before from Toronto. Uh, and had they released it really quickly, like they did with Still Alice, uh, I don't think she would have won that year either. I still think she would have lost to Frances McDormand. Uh, so I don't know if there was really like a place. And that's that's kind of, that's part of the problem is that, you know, you look at this decade and there aren't that many, there are some obvious examples of like, here's like the, the uh, best actress win that comes in with like one other nomination. Streep and Blanchett, but they were both previous winners. Julianne Moore is the big standout for that, obviously. And, you know, she had weak competition and it was a humongous career win. But then, you know, we started getting winners that were coming from Best Picture nominees and much more than that. Uh, and then you come to this Glenn Close soul nominee from the film, and it feels like a throwback of how the Academy used to treat Best Actress, where it's like, yeah, you can win if you're the only nomination because we don't like women's films <laughs> and we don't mm -hmm. give them a lot of you know, best picture nominations. And it's, you know, it seemed like that was kind of changing and moving. And, you know, by by choosing Coleman over over close, that was a clear example of that. Now, that said, this year totally threw that back out into the wind, you know, with something else entirely. Uh, but it seemed like there was a trend to that. And that's what I, like I was talking about before, every year is its own year, but then you do also have to look at trends. And if, if the trend is that, you know, Brie Larson, Emma Stone, Frances McDormand, Best Actress winners in, in Best Picture nominees, all nominated for Best Director too. You look at, the, at this and how members are looking at performances from actresses now in a way that maybe was a little different than before, then you go, okay, Olivia Coleman makes sense. Uh, Shalita Aparicio makes sense. Even Lady Gaga makes sense. Uh, in, in a way that is very different than Glenn Close. And very clearly, the members were like, you know what? We just don't feel like doing one of these congratulations for your career wins. But I don't know. Um, no, I get it. I, I guess there's a conversation to have, you know, for that. Um, Brandon, do you think really quick that she would have gotten in if this wasn't the here it's your time that, like narrative? Um, I think it's perfectly possible. I know the whole narrative was a huge reason for the push and it's something a lot of people were writing. But um, I think it's still plausible that she would have gotten in. Um, just because I think she is giving a good performance. Uh, I just think the movie is really what lets her down. Well, let's see how we feel about the next lady, if we're all good on Glenn Close. I think so. All right. Hair flip. Olivia Coleman, Queen Anne and the Favorite. She won this Academy Award in this category. This is her sole nomination and win so far. Um, Golden Globes, BAFTA, LA Film Critics, National Society of Film Critics. I'll give her the win here. She's nominated 
Oh, and uh, she wins at Critics' Choice for Actress in a Comedy, but she's nominated at Critics' Choice for Lead Actress and SAG at, uh, at SAG for Lead Actress. In The Favorite, again, Olivia plays Queen Anne, who is head bitch in charge. She's the uh, ruler of England at this time, who finds herself in the weirdest, one of the weirdest love triangles that I have seen on film um, that really makes you question who is running the show. Eric, take us away. Uh, this is a masterful performance. Uh, and I think it can't go without saying that as much as we laud Tony Collette as being the critic's favorite, Olivia Coleman won 11 Critics Awards. She is right up there with Colette. So it's, I, I almost think that gets sort of forgotten. But uh, anyway, sidebar from that. Uh, one of the things that's really fascinating about this whole dynamic of these three actresses and, you know, any of us that were following this race closely, we were all like, who's going to go lead? Who's going to go supporting? How's this decision going to be made? And it was ultimately Coleman's own decision to go lead. And that Stone and Vice were going to heed that and then go supporting. And let me look at my numbers. Coleman comes in at 47 minutes and five seconds in this, right in the middle uh, to Emma Stone's 56 minutes and Rachel Vice's 44 minutes. So... It's fascinating because Coleman doesn't have a B story outside of either being with Stone or being with Vice. And each of them have B stories outside of Coleman. So it's it's such a strange dynamic to ultimately come to to Coleman being the lead. But then at the same time, she is the center of the story. And I think that validates her lead status. Uh, I, when I talk about, like what I talked about with Close, that her performance is good, but there was nothing surprising about it. What Coleman does in describing and telling why she has 17 rabbits you're not going to find a more moving and, and sympathetic moment, I think, from any of the nominees. And, oh, I mean, I can, I can think about it, and I just, I'm, I, I'm transported right there. It's, it is, it is such a gorgeously performed scene and it's it's more than enough to to validate the win but that's that's also a scene that is very slowed down and very careful uh compared to the rest of the film and like i was saying before that can be like really fast and whip smart and the lines are just coming out and they're like i like the way her tongue feels inside me and it's like i mean come on how do you not like obsess and love over that line and that delivery. But she has so much to do, just like Bison and Stone uh, do in this movie. But I mean, yeah, the, the, the rabbit thing is, is enough for me to just go take it, take it away. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of her in The Favorite as well. Um, it was a delightful 
moment in time uh, for everyone to discover Olivia Coleman. I feel like she was sort of this new wonder for a lot of people um, in yep. the States. I was familiar with her uh, a little bit because I was a fan of Broadchurch, the television show she did with David Tennant, which she is amazing on. And so when she um, sort of introduced herself to uh, mainstream American audiences with this movie, I was so happy for her that she was becoming a little bit of a household name. Um, I think this is a magnificent performance. Uh, I am perfectly okay with her category placement here. She is a central character uh, here, uh, entirely crucial to the story. But then again, I think all three of these women are. Uh, but yeah, she is really gut-wrenching in these moments with the rabbits. And um, I kind of feel a little bit of pain when she's having her gout um, episodes. Um, I kind of squirm a little bit because I feel like I'm hurting. Uh, it's kind of odd. But uh, this is another performance that's really giving her a thousand and one opportunities to be funny, to pull at your heartstrings, to be riveting as hell. And she gets those really out of left field lines, like the way her tongue feels inside me, that really kind of slap you and remind you of what you're watching and the uh, the commanding presence that Olivia Coleman has. Um, I, I really dig it. Uh, the favorite's just a wonderful film through and through, like I've said like a thousand times already on this episode. And Olivia Coleman is one of the three cherries on top. And uh, she's at her absolute A game here. She's giving a top notch performance in a top notch film. Um, if any one of these three ladies had slipped, it would have been immediately noticeable, but she absolutely does not. Um, she really stays in it through and through. And um, I think this is a wonderful um, win here for her. Um, not mad whatsoever that she is our real life winner. So uh, Joey, how do you feel? I feel like I have to say it now. I like the way her tongue feels inside of me. <laughs> um, so that's that. Um, okay, guys, listen, I have to tell you a little fun story that I, I don't even think I've told Brandon about this win. So the day after the, my birthday party for my 27th birthday was this Oscars. Clean up all the glitter, all the gold, hungover as shit. I'm just really looking forward to the ceremony with the growing dark cloud over my head that this is going to be Glenn Close's win. And then I'm watching the ceremony, I'm getting through, and literally as Francis McDormand and What's-His-Face take the stage... To do this, I have to pause this live-ass TV because my cousin's at the door crying because our aunt died. And then I get a text from a friend that literally just said, oh my fucking God. So as I'm being cried on my shoulder, I have to unpause this move or unpause this TV, pause the conversation about my aunt dying to find out that Olivia Coleman wins and I jump for joy. So that is how I went into this win by literally having to mm. pause death to be like, give me a fucking second, I need to see this live. Oh my God. So to, to witness Olivia Coleman beat Glenn Close was one of the finest moments I've ever seen at the Academy on a personal level. Now, this role is delicious. This is fantastic. I want it 
all the time. I want Olivia Coleman in everything, first of all, but then I want Olivia Coleman's Queen Anne in everything also. Mm-hmm. Um, this this role is so much fun. It's funny as all hell. It's serious as all hell. I mean, you know, you mentioned the rabbits, Eric. What gets me is that very last moment with her and Stone, where she's reminding her who's in fucking charge. Um, the, the pain from the gout that she's got, but then she sees that what Stone's character really is all about in those mere moments. Excuse me, I just burped. Um, in, and she really goes for the jugular there. And I was like, holy shit. Um, my only complaint about the favorite is kind of Yorgos Lanthimos's love of the fisheye lens. I think just think it gets really old after a while. <laughs> but as a whole, I don't think you can get anything better than Olivia Coleman as Queen Anne. It's just, it's one of the best of all time. I think this performance is like a treasure chest. There is just so much in it and it's all gold and gems and beautiful. Um, There's so many little tiny facets to this performance. Um, Little tiny things that you notice uh, whenever you watch. And I think this is gonna be a pretty beloved win over time. I don't think this one's gonna age poorly whatsoever. Um, Because I think Olivia Coleman is simply a blessing. And the performance, I think, is absolutely worthy of recognition. Well, Eric, do you have anything before we get to questions? Um, are we not going to talk about Lady Gaga? Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. We have a couple questions about Coleman that I want to get through, and then we have oh, a okay. question about okay. Gaga, and then we ring. We're almost there. We're almost there. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Let's go to, <laughs> que- let's go to questions. Well, someone who does not feel the same way as us <laughs> is our other good buddy from Germany, Fritz and the Oscars. Why are ah, people Fritz. so right, Fritz? We all love Fritz. Why are people so crazy about Coleman when every competent actress could have given the same exact same performance? Guess what, Fritz? Guess who couldn't do it? Glenn Close. Why? Because she's not a winner, baby. That's why she can't do it. What about you, boys? That that's a really interesting question, though, because. I think about this all the time, and I was just thinking about it again when the stupid Academy posted their tweet about switching directors and films and that. Because I, I love toying with the idea of, okay, what if somebody else played this? How would it have gone? And, I mean, quite honestly, Glenn Close did Dangerous Liaisons. She was amazing. She should have won. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I certainly think that Close could have done a good version of Queen Anne. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's sort of like engaging into an entirely different thing. Uh, I, it's very rare that I think somebody can say, oh, anybody could have played this role, unless it is just like a super basic, basic part that does not require any of the specific talents that any individual actor has, which is, I'm sorry to say, Joan Castleman a little bit. I think a lot of people could have played this role. And I love Glenn Close, but she doesn't bring anything to it because there's not much to it. It's sort of like uh, like Amy Adams and Vice, too. If your character is not written sharply enough and specific enough, you have to be really doing all of the hard work 
that the script is not doing for you at all. Uh, so no, I very disagree with with Fritz. I love Fritz, but I very disagree that anybody could have played this. There's there is an element uh, again of Coleman at the time not being super super well known in the U.S. I mean, critics and cinephiles know like Tyrannosaur and and some of her British work, but for a lot of people, you know, this was going to be something new. So again, like like first time performances, there's not a lot of baggage to bring to it. So all you're getting is pure performance, and you're only judging it based on a pure performance, which is another reason I think Winkle is lost. Yeah, um, I don't know that just anyone could have played this role. Um, I kind of agree with you. Uh, sure, in theory, uh, people could have other people could have played this role and it would have been perfectly fine, but they wouldn't have brought what Olivia Coleman brings specifically. There's a lot of uniqueness to her as a performer and what she brings to the table. Um, if another person had played it, you know, they would bring their own isms and their own toolkit to this performance. And uh, any other people could have been just as good in a different way or greater in a different way. But um, I don't know if they wouldn't have been the same. It would have drastically changed the film. Like the entire tone of the movie could be different with someone else in this role. So I, I don't entirely buy uh, Fritz's um, assessment of this character, but um, I'm always open to interpretation and um, someone else playing it uh, is absolutely possible, but it would be a completely different story. I don't know, it's kind of a difficult thing to answer. Uh, I, I, it, if, if, if maybe he had thrown out some names like that we could go, oh, maybe I could see that. Like, Imelda Stunt maybe would have been kind of fun as, as this. Karen and she Black. Has, and, she, <laughs> and she has a sense of humor. But then, like, what if you threw, you know, fucking Meryl Streep in here? That would be... It would change so much. It would, it would make an entirely different movie and a different story and a different narrative. And she would have been constantly pulling focus from the other two. And mm. so... You know who would be interesting in this role, maybe at a slightly different time, uh, is Julie Walters. Yeah. I think Julie Walters would really um, do yeah. something special yeah. with this performance. She'd be a little bit uh, older at this point in time, but I think Julie Walters, at, a, at the time when it would be appropriate for her, um, would have been great. I would also like to point out, too, and this is, I guess, a great way to answer this as well, without, I mean, it's going to be a little snarky, but it is what it is. You know, unlike Queen Anne and Olivia Coleman, we got essentially two Glenn Close, the wives in the same year. And that was uh, Keira, Knightley, Keira Knightley and Colette. So very, mm. si very similar stories, very similar parts. Yes. You know what I mean? So clearly anyone can play the Glenn Close role, but not anyone can play Queen Anne. Yeah. You know, just, just throwing it out there. Andrew Carden wants to know, speaking of Andrew, hey, Andrew. Uh, where does the wife rank for you among all of Glenn's nominated turns? For me, I would say it's right in wow. the middle. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think for me, it's maybe fourth. 
I'm just thinking off the top of my head, maybe. Um, it's, yeah, maybe it will be about fourth, because it's better than Albert Knobs. It's better than The Natural. It's better than Garp. Yeah, maybe it is kind of in the middle. But I think that's only because I think what she does in Dangerous Liaisons and Fatal Attraction are so far above all of her other nominations. So mm-hmm. far above it. Yeah, that's pretty much my reasoning. All right, I'm going to see really quick if I missed anything. Nope, we're good. Okay, moving on to our final nominee. We've got Lady Gaga as Allie in A Star is Born. This is Gaga's third of three nominations. Her first two nominations came in the form of original song um, for It Could Happen to You. And then she's nominated and she wins, though, the same night of A Star is Born for Shalalalo. Um, <laughs> uh, going into Oscar night, she is a Golden Globe nominee for Actress in a Drama, Category Fraud, uh, BAFTA nom. Uh, for lead actress, she ties at the Critics' Choice with Glennie, and then she wins the National Board of Review for Actress and is nominated at SAG. In A Star is Born Again, she plays Allie. It just goes to show you that if you have 99 people in a room and only one person believes in you, you can literally make it from a uh, party waitress up to a superstar. So, Brandon, tell us what you think. So I think she's pretty good here. Um... I liked it a little bit more the second time I watched it. Uh, the first time I watched *A Star Is Born*, I thought she was perfectly all right, uh, but it didn't really wow me uh, in any way. Uh, the second time going through it, I guess maybe knowing the beats and exactly where it would go, I was really able to focus on her a little bit. And I think early on, she's going for this naturalistic approach, but for some reason, I don't always buy it. Um, it feels like an attempt at naturalism without actually fully being it um, in the beginning. Uh, I do like her um, evolution as a character, and I find it very natural and believable how she goes from being this uh, humble, shy singer who can own the stage when she's uh, when she has a microphone in front of her and the spotlight's on her, but then the moment she steps off stage, she kind of recoils a little bit um, into this very introverted kind of person and um, how she slowly uh, blossoms, I guess you could say, as the movie um, goes on and becomes uh, one of the world's biggest superstars and gains a sense of confidence um, as a person without being, I guess, too obvious about it. I think another performer, perhaps with another director, there would have been a total 180 from the first scene to the last scene, but I don't, think it's an entire 180. It's a believable um, change over time. And I think we do see uh, development, absolutely. But I find it very convincing. It's very um, intricate and careful how it's done. Um, Of course, Gaga is a wonderful singer and um, very powerful uh, when she does perform that first song, shallow with uh, Bradley Cooper there on stage. And I really do like her final song. I know a lot of people kind of mock it. Um, I know there's a certain group of people that think it's a little too, um, I don't know, stereotypical ballad or whatever. 
But um, I think she makes it work, and I think it fits very well within the film. And um, a lot of that has to do with her and her vocal chops and the way she is able to deliver. Um, I don't know if this is just me, but I always, I don't, I don't ever really forget that I'm watching Lady Gaga in a film. Um, that's not exactly something that's required of me as a viewer uh, or as an Oscar voter, if you will, to forget who I'm watching. But for some reason, I'm always very aware that I'm watching Lady Gaga. So I'm not sure what exactly that means. But um, overall, I think it's uh, a well-done performance and it's successful for what it sets out to be. Eric, how about you? Uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat right there at the end of what you just said. And I think the reason is because she stays in her lane and that lane is a very narrow little country road mm -hmm. um she is not playing outside of the box very far so everything she does feels expected uh it's it was great to see her in a full length feature as the lead and i do think she's good and she's very entertaining um but there were very few times where I felt like I was not seeing Lady Gaga. Um, and it was usually in the smaller, more quiet moments, like when Bradley Cooper first comes backstage and she's starting to take her makeup off. And just before, you know, he starts doing it and she's kind of sort of like, you know, ah, I don't want people back here seeing me, you know, as I take my makeup off. There's something just about how kind of soft she delivers that, that really, I, I, I got that and I felt that. It's when she has her bigger moments, like the fight in the bathtub, that feel like she's going, okay, I need to act and this mm. is how I need to act. So it was, I've seen it, I think like three times and I really do like the movie. But I think one of the biggest difficulties she faces is how much better Bradley Cooper is at every single turn in the movie. <laughs> every yep. single turn. And should have been the actual Best Actor winner that year. Um, it's, it's tough because, you know, I don't, I don't want to diminish it her because of him, but he's just so much fucking better mm -hmm. uh and he is pushing himself outside of what we know him to be in a real way uh including playing and performing live um so when it, whenever she's on and you know like going out to 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 join him on stage for the first time and we're supposed to you know think that she's like super nervous uh, about this the song and the and the the build up the crescendo to get her there, uh, and the cinematography sell it more than she sells it, mm. and and it sucks because I do really like her and I don't want to sound like I'm just saying that she's not good because I think she's good. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. So, first thing I want to point out about Lady Gaga here is. 
Madonna shook it when she won that Oscar. I will just say it. <laughs> poor Madonna. And I know. Listen, listen, I listen. I'm not going there with you, but I am going to say this because for those of you who haven't figured it out, uh, <laughs> Ms. Eric over there is the generation of what our generation of Lady Gaga is. So with Madonna. So um, Madonna should have two original song Oscars right now and a Best Actress nomination. Masterpiece, so. if Madonna had been smart with W.E., would not have put that in the end credits. Therefore, she would have been eligible for the Oscar. I, I will give her that. That was a stupid-ass fucking move. Um, I haven't seen Evita, so I can't say... Uh, listen, I own it on VHS, so I'll watch it eventually. Okay. Anyway. A Star is Born, with that said, I brought that up because, like I said, Gaga to my generation is what Madonna was for Eric's. Mm-hmm. And huge Gaga stan, except for the abomination that was Joanne. Don't even want to get into that. But um, I was really looking forward to this because finally Gaga has this lead role in A Star is Born. I, up until this point, I had never seen A Star is Born, any of them. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to watch any of them before this one so I can go into this with a clean-cut mind. The trailer made me cry because of Shallow. I was ready. I see this movie. The first 45 minutes blow my mind. I thought it was amazing. And then the bitch got famous. And Brandon mentioned, which I thought was interesting, he's like, I don't feel like she flipped. I could not be more opposite to that because everything she wasn't for in the beginning, she flipped her character in the end for it. She became everything she despised that she mentioned in the beginning. And then the movie itself feels like an, an a rushed, edited MTV's making the band. Like the movie, I just ended up really hating this movie also. Um, and I really, after the whole shallow sequences, I think when the movie went to the dumps, it just lost me. I wasn't interested in Allie. Again, I think she turned into everything she didn't want to. Bradley Cooper just blows her away at everything. Um, and then there's, you know, the points where everything in this movie just feels like, yep, this is going to be my Oscar scene. Nope, this is going to be my Oscar scene. Well, now I got to play this because this is my Oscar scene. I'm like, bitch, pick a scene. Pick one scene. Just one. Um, which is really disappointing to me because I love Lady Gaga, but this is not it. This film isn't it. I will say after seeing all the A Star is Borns, the uh, Judy Garland version is by far the best. Um... I was just really disappointed in the end for this one. And then that kills me and can show you guys I'm not biased with my love of somebody. Um, yeah, this wasn't it. This wasn't it. Um, I also want to point out, did you guys know, I found a little trivia on this, that, first of all, we really didn't need a fourth version of The Star is Born. We don't need a fifth version of The Star is Born in, in 23 years when they do it again. But um, Beyonce and Clint Eastwood were supposed to be the leads at some point. Mm-hmm. That would have been fucked up. Was he supposed to be the lead? I thought he was just directing it. I thought Cooper was always attached to be the lead. Uh, no, maybe. Eastwood. Eastwood yeah. was gonna. Eastwood was gonna direct, and yeah, it would have. It would have been Cooper and Beyonce. Yeah, because I think oh, Cooper okay. carried over because he was always attached as an actor, and mm-hmm. then when Eastwood dropped the project, Cooper kind of held on to it and eventually became the director. Well, I, I still think I think Cooper would have ate her up, but still. Uh, and I love Beyonce, but still. Yeah. Um, does anyone have any follow-up to what I said before we get into the questions? Uh, I think I'm all right. All right. Yeah, I'm just stewing on Madonna right now, but we'll save that for later. 
Listen, <laughs> masterpiece should have been it. I really should have. No, I just um, wish she. I wish she had co-written "You Must Love Me." She really should have because that would have been a great fucking win for her. But she should have been nominated over Dianki. Well, it's funny because even though I haven't seen Madonna in a video, I always say Courtney Love should be in there for People versus Larry Flynn. So it's very. It'll be interesting to see, you know, because that's why I was like, that should be over Diane Keaton. That should be Courtney Love. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens if I ever get to a veto. Like I said, I mm-hmm. own it. I just have never seen it. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. We've got a couple questions and we can finally get to our rankings here and close this bitch out. Uh, let's see. First of all, Ryan Showers. How can we have such a strong year in Best Actress and end up with such a lackluster bunch of nominees? Hello, where's Nicole Kidman, Rosalind Pike, Tony Collette, Emily Blunt, Viola Davis, and Allie Portman? All of them are more deserving than the women nominated. Thoughts? Um, I mean, when it comes to a few of the people he mentioned, I think Kidman is good in Destroyer. Um, I think Destroyer is... Uh, honestly kind of a mediocre movie that's only really noteworthy because of Kidman. So I guess, sure, if she had been nominated, I'd be okay with it. Um, who are the other people he mentioned? Uh, Portman. What was Portman up for this year? Remind me. Oh, Vox Lux. Is that it? Vox Lux. But I would have put her in supporting. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She's not a lead in Vox Lux. Let's just be honest. Yeah, so, I mean, it is a stellar year. It just seems to be a year where um, only five people could make the cut, and this is just what happened i mean we already discussed colette and um how she deserves to be here uh was there a fourth person he mentioned i'm forgetting rosamund pike oh i do like her in um was it a private a private really i I mean i liked her (laughs) i did for some reason i kind of dug it um i wish honestly i remember watching that movie and wishing that kate mulgrew had played it but um in a different time period Mm -hmm. but um i remember digging it at the time Maybe I'll watch it again someday and be like, oh, this is a train wreck. But at the, I wouldn't have nominated her myself, but I remember thinking she was perfectly fine. I don't, I don't think know. you need to watch that movie another time. I mean, it's not like on my agenda <laughs> or anything. Hmm. I'm trying to think if I even saw that movie. Probably not. But we are talking about the one where she's a reporter, right? Not the yeah. other. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah the photographer. Yeah, yeah. From Breathe and Brittany. Uh, Glenn and Gaga tied at Critics' Choice. Were you surprised by that? And did you expect a tie a la Hepburn and Streisand at the Oscars? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I mean, it's Critics' Choice. They also tied, like, what was it, Patricia Arquette and Amy Adams because they felt bad for Amy Adams. Uh, I don't really trust very much that the Critics' Choice do, so that tie did not do anything for me other than make me roll my eyes. Yeah, pretty much the same. Um, I don't really follow Critics' Choice that closely. And um, when they tied, it was kind of like a, hmm, moment for me. But I wasn't exactly floored by it. And I didn't really think it was going to affect anything major. Uh, So, And I definitely did not expect a tie at the Oscars. I mean, the odds of that are pretty, I don't know, pretty low i mean it's absolutely possible but um i didn't think that a, a critic's choice tie was um a, a de- determining factor in there being a tie at the oscars so uh i guess no 
stuff. Yeah, I mean, it would have been cool for it to happen. We were on the 50th anniversary. It was the same type of setup. It was the the musical superstar versus the old school Hollywood vet. So, I mean, if that had happened and it's going to be a once in every 50 year moment, you know, like it, it, it would have been an interesting narrative. But, you know, I like a good tie. I've given many before on the show. Um, it is what it is. And, you know, it actually leads into the final question we have also from Kevin. Do you think, uh, or at Breathe and Brittany, do you think Gaga would have been a bigger competitor if Shallow La Lo and the best original song wasn't a thing? Um, I want to start with that, just going off of the, uh, the Critics' Choice win. Going into this Oscar season, I can't remember the last time a movie started off with such momentum of A Star is Born and fizzled to pure dust at the end. Um, I think the critics threw her a bone, but I don't really know if the way that it started off to with the way it ended, if Gaga would have even had a chance if Shalalalo wasn't there. What do you guys think? Oh yeah, no, she wouldn't have have been a major contender at all. Yeah, I don't think she honestly had that much momentum as an as a as an actress. She had um, no momentum. Yeah, I, but I do agree, Joey. There was a time where like. A Star is Born was, before anyone had even seen it, because this is how freaking the internet works, before anyone had even seen it, it was like, everyone was like, oh, it's going to sweep, it's going to win everything, and best picture, all the actors, all the songs, everything. And then people saw it and like, oh, nope. And it kind of lost a lot of its uh, juice. So, um, yeah, I don't know that uh, taking the song out would really have changed anything um, actress-wise. No. Yep. Well, that is a combination of a bunch of questions at once. Shall we finally get this uh, baby wrapped up? Sure. All right, Brandon, take us away. So as a reminder, your supporting actress nominees were Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk, Amy Adams in Vice, Marina de Tavira in Roma, Emma Stone in The Favorite, and Rachel Vice in The Favorite. And I am putting Emma Stone at number five uh, just because it's uh, an egregious case of category fraud, in my opinion. And even though she's great and I think it's her best nomination, uh, this is not the lineup she should be in. So I'm putting Emma Stone at number five for The Favorite. Eric, how about you? Now, this is a ranking of personal choice, correct? Yes. You can do it any way you want to do it. Oh, okay. So who you wouldn't give the Oscar to, to where if you were a sole Oscar voter, who is your winner? So start from number five and go down to one. Uh, I, I, will, I will approach this from my, my personal, uh, like if I was voting. Uh, number five would be Amy Adams. Okay. Heard that. Number five is going to be Marina de Tavira. Despite the category fraud of Emma Stone, I am, I just, I've never seen such a, a less worthy role being nominated in my lifetime of what I've seen so far. So Marina de Tavira at five. So um, I held on to a little thing uh, for the twist of it all, because I'm putting Rachel Weisz at number four, because I also consider this a category uh, fraud, I guess. Um, I think this movie has three leads. And um, all three of them would be better suited in lead. So um, Rachel Weisz, um, I love quite a bit as well. But it's less egregious than Emma Stone. So that's how she um, edged out to number four for the favorite. Eric, how about you? Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of iffy on category fraud, but I don't want it to, I mean, at least for, 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 for me doing this, I don't want it to impact how... I, I would vote 
in in a way i mean like like mm-hmm. uh like strategically i guess i don't know maybe i i would in some cases vote strategically and, and put somebody you know at number five if i didn't want them to get it uh but my number four here would be uh vice and it's i love my number one through four so it's not really fourth place in the sense that you know it's not very good amy adams yes not very good fifth place that's full stop but (laughs) um but yeah rachel vice would be my number four but just by virtue of what i feel is really 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 good competition uh, number four for me is going to be Emma Stone, Category Fraud, um, which is really upsetting me because this is Emma Stone at her best. Um, this is honest. Yeah, this is career best work. But unfortunately, she's wrong category. So I got to give her four. Um, Amy Adams is my number three for Vice. And she was really only able to squeak her way up to number three due to the questionable placement of the favorites, ladies. Uh, because I, although I love Amy Adams, it's a pretty... Um, just all right performance, honestly. So uh, Amy Adams, uh, number three for Vice. Eric? Uh, my number three is Marina de Tavira. And for, I think, the reasons I stated before, I really like uh, this performance. It's it's understated when it needs to be, and it's agitated and over the top when it needs to be and sort of like what you had said earlier brandon she's the a professional actress acting against a whole bunch of non-actors which could make for a really awkward uh situation but it 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 never feels like that and i think that's a great uh testament to her performance that she does not let her own longer history of acting become like a sore thumb in in everybody else's so my number three uh number three is amy adams it's mainly just on the fact that i day tavira and stone couldn't go higher for me so like brandon adams is just a beneficiary of who's in her category so with my two and one, I've been kind of going back and forth um, this entire episode. Uh, I've been kind of changing it in my notes, trying to look at it visually, what uh, looks right, who, which one feels like it deserves the number one and which one deserves the number two. And honestly, neither. I'm not completely confident in either outcome. Um, so I think just in this moment, I'm putting Regina King at number two for Jesus Feel Free Good Talk. Christ. And... Uh, Marina de Tavira is my winner. Uh, Regina King, amazing. Uh, she's been in this game for decades, and she absolutely deserves this Oscar, and I love that she has an Oscar, and I can't wait to see what she does. Uh, but Marina de Tavira, um, on the second watch of Roma, really uh, swept me away, and um, I am floored at what she was able to accomplish by convincing everyone that she wasn't accomplishing anything. And I think she is wonderful here, and I also cannot wait to see what she goes on to do. Um, I'd love to see her in a role that really, um, we get to see a completely different side of the actress, Marina de Tavira. So um, there you go. Eric, how about you? Bless your heart, Brandon. I love that. I love it. Um, My number two is Emma Stone, which obviously makes my number one Regina King. Uh, I really just, I love Stone so much in this and everything we had discussed before. She's 
she holds her own in a way that's a, a little bit unexpected. Um, and to come through with like a career best performance the year after she wins an Oscar is a pretty great thing to do instead of just kind of coasting after you've won. Uh, but I mean, Regina King, Regina King, Regina King, always and forever. Um, I will be team Regina forever. I can't wait for her directorial debut. Um, I love that a black actress has won this award, not playing a slave or a maid, but a fully realized mother, wife, and person outside of, of that. Uh, and yeah, and it was a great speech and a great dress. She looked amazing. Mm -hmm. I love her. I think she I, really hung out. <laughs> I, um, we have an opening in Academy Queens for a new host. Um, no, I, wow, holy shit. I, I, I honestly don't even know who, who Eric picked because I completely was out of body after Brandon there. I, I <laughs> wow, okay. Do you know how hard it is to get me speechless out of all fucking people? You know what's interesting? I don't think anyone would really know this, but um, even though this is the Oscar season where we started this, we haven't really discussed this Oscar season no, very we much haven't. because we, we kind of not. we've been kind of saving it for like a year and a half for this yeah. episode. So you've never really heard all of my opinions on Roma. I think you just knew that I liked it, but you didn't really know exactly how I felt about the performances and all the little tiny details. So. This is a first. I would really like it when you edited this, if you somehow add the sound effect of a heart, uh, like a, a stopping heart, like in the hospital. Like, like a flatline? Yes, a flatline. Oh my wow. God, I can't, even, I can't even word right now. Like a still um, baby. <laughs> I, that is a big ass baby. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, number, whew, let me, I'm going to use Jesus Christ to fix Brandon's mistakes. Okay. Um <laughs> I am going to give Regina King the second place. Rachel Weiss is my winner. Um, let me start with King. King is fantastic. I love what she's doing here. Um, but Weiss is not a lead here out of the three. If it took me two, two watches of the favorite to get that. She is, quote unquote, the least busy of the three ladies. Um, and her screen time puts her in supporting. Um, she's fantastic, and this is one that I would have loved to see her see her win. Uh, King is like I said, King is also fantastic, but there's no getting around this comedic performance for me. Uh, Vice is it all the way. Okay. I don't even want to go on to fucking lead now because I don't even know who you are. <laughs> um, okay, as of as a recap, we had Glenn Close in her final nomination for. Uh, the Wife, Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me, Jalita Burizio for the for Roma, Olivia Coleman for The Favorite, and Lady Gaga for A Star is Born. Um, number five is Jalita Burizio. There's just, this is Tony Collette's spot, and that's where I gotta give it, so five for Jalita. Eric? Oh my goodness. 
This might be so risky. <laughs> Your um, career is on the line. It really <laughs> is. And somebody that I'm like really good friends with is going to hate me if I do this. Do it. Do it. Oh, God. Name names, too. Who are these people? No, no, no. Um, okay, my five is Glenn Close. <laughs> oh my god it's really close though it's actually really close um and it's it's for everything i said before it's it's a very expected performance she hits the beats that she knows she needs to hit it's too calculated um it's it's too like 90s era blueprint Oscar bait. It's um I, I just wish it was more. I, I wish she had brought more to what was there. So. My uh, number oh go ahead. Glenn Close found dead in a ditch. I know. <laughs> Kevin Jacobson found dead in a ditch. I know. Oh my god. It's <laughs> Yes, Kevin and my and my Francesco, who is just like a lifelong fan, and I swear to God, if they hear this, they're never going to talk to me again. <laughs> Fritz Fritzy Poo found dead in a ditch. I know, Glenn Close, but so far. Brendan, my number five. Um, like Eric said, this is a pretty solid lineup, but um, my number five is Lady Gaga for A Star Is Born. For some reason, I just don't fully buy into it. I'm not sure what it is. It might just be me as a viewer specifically, but um, I'm not really able to fully give myself over to this performance, and I don't find it quite as interesting um, as the other ones. So um, Lady Gaga makes my number five spot for um, Star is Born. Uh, Lady Gaga makes my number four spot. Um, I wish I could give her something higher, but I can't. yeah, she's at four. Eric? <laughs> uh, she is my four as well. And it was really just, I, I, I didn't know what I was even going to say for five until I, Glenn Close came out. Uh, so it's, I like Gaga in this. First half is better. Performance elements, uh, uh, stage performance elements are really good. Like I said, the, the small moments and the quiet moments, I think she finds uh Ally a whole lot better than in the bigger ones. Um she's not quite uh accomplished enough as an actress to be able to know how to to pull off the big moments. Um but she was never less than entertaining throughout mm-hmm. all of it. Uh and so yeah, number four. Uh, my number four is uh, Glenn Close for the wife. Uh, strangely, I kind of like all the things that uh, Eric mentioned uh, disliking. I kind of like the calculation and all that and um, how cerebral, I guess you could say, Glenn Close's performance is. For some reason, I dig it. Uh, but I think she is ultimately let down by this movie. And um, I don't disagree that there aren't very many surprises per se. But um, I think this is... Uh, a Glenn Close performance through and through, and I really dig it. And if she had one for this, I would not be mad about it. But uh, personally speaking, she is only my number four for the life. Hell has frozen over. 
when we get to an episode where I rank Glenn Close higher than my co-host and my guest. Holy shit. <laughs> Kevin Jacobson, I want an apology. Um, Glenn Close is at three. She's middle of the road here. This is a fine Glenn Close performance. Uh, we've re- made it to the end of all of her nominations. Um, the highest I've ever ranked her is Dangerously Azans at as a runner-up to Sigourney Weaver. But this is... This is just fine. She's always going to be a nominee. Stop trying to make Fetch happen. It is what it is. She's at number three. <laughs> Eric? <laughs> Eric, you what? good? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. Um, am I doing my number two, or what are we doing? I think you're, at, you're at number three. Uh, is that three? We're doing three? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I Numbers! I know, I almost jumped ahead there. Uh, my number three is Melissa McCarthy. And it's, it's tough. It's like the literal middle. You know, we've got our one, two, and our four, five. She's right in the middle. And I don't know if maybe like a different year I would have her higher. But I can't, I can't put her ahead of, of my one and two as much as I absolutely love her in this and love that she got this nomination and that it's so different than Bridesmaids and different than most of her work. I wish she was doing more of this. If she did like this and Spy like back to back, like over and over, she would really have like the best fucking career, period. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, my number three is gonna be Olivia Coleman for the favorite. Jesus fucking Christ! <gasps> oh my God! <laughs> I love Olivia Coleman, um, just through and through, and especially in the favorite. I think she is wonderful, and I love this win, and I think it's gonna age pretty well, and uh, it's great. But um, uh, this lineup is pretty solid, and the, my number one and two are pretty solid, and this is all just really neck and neck and splitting hairs at this point, and kind of just what I'm feeling in the moment. So Olivia Coleman is my number three for the favorite. If I, I don't could, know, I don't know if this is hair splitting. It's like wig snatching. <laughs> if I could describe to you what I am doing right now, it is that gif of Kim Kardashian on her bed looking up under the sheets, like because I am shook. I. <laughs> Don't even want to continue this conversation because I, I I don't know who you are, <laughs> and it's oh my god, Jesus fucking Christ! All right, um, my runner-up this year is Melissa McCarthy. It should be no surprise that Olivia Coleman is number one. Uh, McCarthy's fantastic. I think she's so good. Um, I really, really honestly debated tying her with this uh, to add a little twist. I don't fucking need to add any twists, though, because Brandon's got that whole department covered. Um, Coleman, though, is fantastic. She is not a supporting here. She is the, the centralized character that everything is happening around her, even though her screen time is a, just minutes less than Stone. You, there, if you, I just can't fathom her being in the supporting category. Um, I think if she was, she would have won either way, but this is definitely Coleman. Eric, please, please save me from something I feel is going to happen. 
San Francisco's expensive. I've been there once. I'll go drink at Moby Dick's while like it's for something. Oh, I love Moby Dick's. Yeah, but I'm just um, saying, oh, save me. I, I mean, I'm. Let me tell you how thrilled I am to be witnessing all of the gaggery that's going on right now between you and Brandon. It's. <laughs> I I was I, I told Brandon before we started, I'm like, I'm so tired right now, I want to take a nap, but I am alive and living right now. Um and I am so tempted to put you on life support with my next choice. Like so tempted. <laughs> fucking, fucking. <laughs> so I think be, be I might to yourself. I think I might just do it. Oh, live your life, Eric. So my number two Stop is it. Olivia Coleman. Stop it. Elisa <laughs> so Aparicio is my number one. Joey has left the chat. <laughs> oh my god, what is happening? I would okay. like to see you in court. I know. Oh my god, it's really good that this isn't like a what? Zoom like video because I would have to be hiding under the covers right now. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. All right. Let's. Okay. T T T T. I I don't want to just. I didn't just like do that to make you like gag and freak out because I love both of these performances so much and they each represent a completely different. Uh, approach and style and uh, ability and surprise and I could easily flip them at any time. I love Olivia Coleman's win. Love it. Love it. I love her surprise. I love her. This is never going to happen again. And her and all of that. It's 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 a fantastic speech. Um, I I am incredibly moved by Aparicio's performance beginning to end. Uh, and as I mentioned, I really love being exposed to new people. And it actually, I, I have to work less to be able to be invested in a new person's performance because of the things I mentioned before of not having, you know, baggage and, and all of that. Uh, I get to completely give in to it. And I did at every single moment. And it's, oh, I, I mean, I, I said, I saw it five times and it wasn't, I didn't have to, I saw it at all uh, the festivals that I went to, and I didn't have to, uh, but I chose to every single time because it just, it moved me every single time. And I don't care if she never does anything again and just decides to go back to being an elementary school teacher. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me because it was a moment that was captured and only could have been captured in that moment. And I am obsessed with her performance. But so I'm I sorry. Also, <laughs> so I also have uh, Yelitsa Aparicio and uh, Melissa McCarthy left. And I love both of these performances for very different reasons. They are both amazing. And um, I get completely different things out of them. And I, I approach them differently as a viewer. 
And um, like with my supporting ladies, I've been really going back and forth kind of all day between these two because I really want to give it to um, both of them. But um, I'm not. I'm going to pick one. Uh, I'm honestly thinking about it as I'm speaking, which is why I just keep speaking. Um, but I think, you know, I think if Eric hadn't gone with Aparicio, I very well might have. But um, maybe that swang me in the moment because I feel like maybe I don't have to be the one to uh, stand up for her. I don't know what that even means. But um, I think I'm just going to go ahead and put Yelitsa as my runner up and McCarthy's going to remain my winner. Uh, she was my winner on the night of the Oscars. And um, I was floored and taken in by that performance then, and I still am. Um, Eric said it perfectly um, about Yelitsa. Um, I don't know if there's anything that I can really add. I think she's tremendous in every way. And also, um, I don't mind if she never comes back to the Oscars. I would love her to. I don't know what that would be. But um, if she just does Roma and this is her legacy, I think that is a hell of a legacy. And um, I truly do love the performance. Um, Melissa McCarthy, though, I really want McCarthy to have an Oscar. And I think this would have been a wonderful uh, time to do it. Um, I love her Lee Israel. Um, it's a great, great performance that um, is it's even better every time I watch it. So um, we can uh, resuscitate Joey. Uh, Melissa McCarthy is my winner for <laughs> Can You Ever Forgive Me? Joey found dead in a ditch. I... I, I, wow. <laughs> okay. I, um, you know you what? Were, you, you, were even in, you weren't even in a ditch. You were swept out to sea and Cleo did not save you. Fuck Cleo. <laughs> Just another reason why I don't have to like her. I, wow. Okay. <laughs> this did not go as planned. <laughs> But I love uh, it. I did too. I, you guys, I want to talk about bullying. <laughs> I, we need to have a conversation about what it means to be nasty. <laughs> Tell us again how you feel about Roma. That piece of shit ass movie. Like, oh God, no, this is, um, this is probably as of this recording the most scandalous fucking episode of Academy Queens we've ever had. And this Eric, is the, the shookiest episode ever. Eric, I am so happy this is with you because like I said, going into this, I did not know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And I honestly thought that you and I might just be bickering back and forth. But now like this, I honestly will say it. I think you are my favorite person we've ever had on. Because I felt weirdly connected with you until your best actress pick. <laughs> so, no. Um, but, no, I think you were great. I think you were amazing. And I love that we were all so different here. Well, yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, we've been at this now for three hours. And I think what, this, <laughs> <laughs> what I think this does in, in a lot of, you know, these podcasts and things that we, that we do is allow us to have a much better conversation than something like Twitter allows us to have, which is so much shorthand and so uh, angry sometimes. And the and our responses can be 
just, I don't know, not very well thought out and, and just reactionary, really reactionary. And even though you and I are disagreeing on so many things here, we're asking each other questions and we're talking mm -hmm. about why. And because we all three of us are coming at this from really the same place and the same passion and the same love, giving ourselves the time and ability to talk about it, even if we still ultimately end up, you know, not agreeing, we have an understanding of, of why and how that can be expressed in a way that's so much uh, more complete than fucking Twitter. Yeah, fucking Twitter. <laughs> fucking Twitter. <laughs> um, Brandon, okay. Um, do you have anything else you want to add? Um, this has been a really great episode. Uh, this has honestly been one of my favorites. Uh, Eric, you've been great. Uh, you're someone we've been talking about having on the show for a little while. But um, honestly, I, I didn't know if we were worthy, to be honest. I didn't know if you would say yes. And then when I ultimately sent you the DM and you said yes, I was like, oh, my God, he agreed. And I was really uh, tickled by that. So it's been great to finally get you on. And you picked a hell of a year um, to come yeah. on board because yeah. uh, I, I think this is a these are two great lineups, but for two very different reasons. And it's been a really fun time picking both of them apart. Yeah, I agree. Eric, where can the people find you on social media? On social media. Speaking of fucking Twitter. Speaking of fucking Twitter. <laughs> uh, you can find me at awards underscore watch because the person who has awards watch has never posted and will not sell me the fucking handle. Bitch. Wow. I'm not, I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> I mean, I really haven't seen you this better since uh mary pickford won at the oscars i'm Shit. telling you that bitch <laughs> <laughs> all right um brandon do you have anything else to add i think that's all all right i will see you in the parking lot after we're done here um, i'll see you at the beach <laughs> oh you know what i'm just gonna go <laughs> um all right gentlemen on the count of three big goodbye ready one two three bye, goodbye. bye.